This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Trish. We're going to talk. Get you for this, Jesse. Okay. Oh, and that reminds me, Evan. You need to use your. uh, You haven't been using your signature sign-off on your podcast yet. You have not heard the last of Evan Lampy. These are all old episodes. Uh, Okay. um... Well, at the end of this one, you can say it. Okay. It'll be a trope maker, whatever. Anyways, we're going to talk I, I about... I'd like to do an enemy someday. <laughs> That's really what my complaint was. I never could actually say that to an enemy. Because <laughs> I don't have any. Well, you ha- you have one now. but <laughs> 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 We are going to talk about Sin Hellcat. Depends on what Trish says about this book. <laughs> <laughs> A novel by Lawrence Block and Donald Westlake, first published in 1962, I believe. Might have been 61. Um... And uh, it, I'm pretty sure it's public domain. Um, I didn't do the search on it, but the copyright on the audiobook does not mention a renewal. Um, that's okay. I, I'm not desperate to scan it and put it up. But what I am uh, desperate to do, very desperate, sexually frustratedly desperate to do, is talk about this book. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I will point out we uh, started with three women interested in doing this show and now we only have one uh one of them dropped out uh saying this is not uh, not a good book for me and the other one had vr sickness and uh, couldn't get it couldn't finish watching or listening or reading the book vr sickness <laughs> yeah i didn't know that was a thing but i guess it makes sense yeah uh cat was playing some vr game and got dizzy and sick from it so Vertigo is no laughing matter. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I hope she gets better soon. I've played computer games where, uh, like, it's like just a first person shooter. And yeah, you get sick from the movement. Your brain is saying you're moving and your body says it isn't. Prone to motion sickness. Yeah. (laughs) And there are, there are compensatory things that you, you, like, they can do to make it. Not as active, but I haven't had that for decades, uh, at least a decade and a half. Um, so, but it is really bad because you want to play a game, but you can't because you're feeling sick. So, uh, how did you all feel while reading this book? Um, well, I was I very entertained. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let him go first. Were you reading with one hand, Evan? Um, <laughs> I was reading. <laughs> Well, I was listening, so I was walking around Hangzhou when I was read, list reading this book, mm-hmm. and I found myself like laughing out loud yes. more than I have quite a while listening to a book. <laughs> Paul, were you laughing out loud? Um, I, was, I was doing okay with this book for a while until the marital rape scene. That's yep. what I thought. We all agree this, on this, that, probably. This is like, okay. I'm it was not, hot, I'm, then it was really hot. Really of course hard. not. <laughs> I'm, go, I'm, go, I'm, I'm just going to get through this thing because I promised Jesse I'd be on the podcast and I've never chopped up a podcast because I hated the book. But that's when the book, 
like okay okay so we're, we're seeing his sexual adventures we're seeing him try to make it on madison avenue i kept thinking about these men men then we have the marital rape scene i thought no i don't like this character i don't like this book <laughs> i'm just going to plow through it <laughs> pun intended here's what i think i think it's unbe- like this character mary what's her name helen yeah helen, yeah yeah this character marrying helen was unbelievable in a way i never i didn't buy it yeah well yeah what and i, I, I didn't I and also like loving like having affection for this kid at the end and you know changing I don't know, whatever. I guess he ended up with more money at the end, so it could just be. A I can explain thing, it all. Don't worry. But <laughs> the, the him, I guess the biggest I think pull in this book is his marriage to Helen, and if it's there just for this scene, that is a pr- big problem. But if we can explain how this character gets to marrying this Helen, and then I can explain it all. Given this character as a pretty, very faulty, horrible person. That that scene makes a little bit more sense, but in the knowing what we know about him at that point in the story, I just don't see how they end up together. No problem, I can explain it. The Trish, you can explain <laughs> okay, it. Okay, so I yeah. love Lawrence Block. I oh, good. love Donald West. Like, I'd be happy to recommend a bunch of different books by either of those writers. I was expecting a naughty romp with this book. And there is some clever wordplay here and there, but I was astonished by how dreary a lot of it is. Um, I don't like the main character. I'm not really terribly interested in his Madison Avenue adventures or his sexual adventures. And then there's the marital rape. Yeah, uh, with some casual uh, homophobia thrown in, too. So... Very casual. <sighs> yeah. Uh, so I stuck it out through this book um, because I had said I would do it with you and also <laughs> for the pleasure of tearing it apart, having spent the time on it. Yeah. So I don't I don't think you should judge it too harshly. Um, and the <laughs> reason I think I, – I, I, well, there's a couple of reasons. Yeah, the marital rape scene is not uh, particularly good, um, uh, as in it's a bad thing that – uh, shouldn't happen in real life. Um, on the other hand, these this is two men working in an industry uh, that's basically it's like you know film students uh, who get hired for a job to shoot some movies, <laughs> and the movies they're hired to shoot are por- pornography movies, right? They're not um, the movies perhaps that they were hoping to do when they went to film school um but the reason they're writing it together it, it, they wrote three of them together is because this is how they made a living right this is the money that brought in the the cash that allowed them to you know say that they were writers and work in the industry that they wanted to work in which is writing um there's a lot of Lawrence Block's life in this book. Um, I will not say the marital rape scene is one of them. I don't know which parts Westlake wrote. Versus, I, I could make some guesses if you gave me some text. Um, but their writing style is very smooth and, and clear. Um, and uh, I think Block said, as you were pointing out, Evan, before the podcast, um, that it was hard to tell. I, I tweeted at Block asking him if there was any more information about 
about uh, the writing of it. Uh, when I've asked him in the past, like I, I'm a huge Lawrence Block fan in the sense that I've tracked down a lot of the books that were out of print um, in years ago. Most of the stuff is in print now, including this is in print on his own like imprint. He's made his own publishing company just to print his stuff, um, sell it on Amazon, get audiobooks made. He commissions all this stuff, and uh, so I've asked him in the past, like, uh, is this a book by you? Because John Dexter. Um, is that the name of the, on this, the cover of the original of this? I think it is. Um, uh, let me look. Yeah. I don't think that was Yeah, Andrew <laughs> Shaw. Andrew yeah. Shaw. So, uh, right. I, these are house names, right? This is like the Alan Smithy of right. nightstand books, right? Nightstand books. This is the book you keep in your nightstand, um, because yeah. that's where you're going to read it, right? Um, in case no, something it, comes up in the night, it felt like more like a book that, <laughs> like, the traveling salesman would would read when he's in the hotel. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, like, oh, I okay, got maybe I'm, I'm Bible word sympathizing a little bit with the kind of I the I, I think the way you wife. I think the way you have to judge it is is by looking at the back cover. Now, what's funny is I tweeted the back cover, but I tweeted the wrong one. So I was reading it afterwards. I'm like, wait a second. That's not the right. That plot is not this book. So I'm just going to read the back of the book. And then you'll see, uh, like, what they're, they're given it, like, generally what the publisher says, give me a sex book. It's going to have this, 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 and this, right? Just like the way the director of a pornographic film is saying, yep, what's hot this week? Uh, stepsisters or step, step, stepmoms. Or, it's always step something, right? So in this case, we've got a tour of two things. Frigid wife, lustful wanton. That's the, the polarity of this book, right? And then it says in the center of those two things, her passion locked within her, dark and unwanted. Her mind a turmoil of unnatural wants. <laughs> And strange desires. Helen, a wife to drive a man to other women. And that first other woman was always someone like Jody. The call girl with the kicked body and the angelic face. Jody, who who had known Helen's husband years before, had spent wild nights with him in hotel rooms and other dark scenes of sin and passion. Jody, who had returned to Harvey's thoughts and life at the height of her lust-ridden career. Jody, who didn't care what she did to Harvey now, as long as it satisfied her money-hungry soul, and as long as it, is, it ruined anything that was good, for her mission in life was to be a lustful wanton. You notice how much uh, Helen shows up in this book? She's barely in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the reason yeah, she's barely in it is because that's no... That it, it, right? It, like, notice that the main character doesn't seem to have any interest in talking about his wife. <laughs> It's because the, the it's a bad polarity, right? Well, 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 I even find it funny. At, I mean, because 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 the the authors even recognize that because he he says at one he says at one point, yeah, I'll, I'll finally get to get to our wedding night, but he keeps like putting it off inside. <laughs> each author in the story. Each and author he mentions. Mm-hmm. Hmm, maybe maybe I'm digressing because I don't want to talk about the wedding. Night. Yes, exactly. So it's 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 very knowing in that. Here's what I think part. happened: the the way they wrote these was in they took turns, right? One would write one chapter, the the other would write the next chapter, and I think they're 
they're they know that they have to talk they they've got the cover they've got the 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 premise now they have to put out some copy this book's only like four and a half hours long right um so they've got the they've they're told what their assignment is and then they are taking turns trying to avoid writing that chapter <laughs> like it's like okay here's the setup okay notice how like the, the book sort of starts splitting at a, at a certain point and we've got mm-hmm. we've got the uh the the plot where one of them's gonna go kidnap a, uh, I, I say one of them one of them has a plot to kidnap a kid and take him to south america and the other one uh is like not doing that right right the flashback so i i believe uh that the lawrence block uh Donald Westlake dynamic is very hard to tell apart here, and obviously he didn't know. Like I asked him, like uh, a long time ago, I said, "Was this one you wrote?" And he says, "I don't think so." <laughs> <laughs> but they wrote so many back then, right? Um, uh, he said, "I don't believe so." <laughs> like, but the, but notice also the title, like Sin Hellcat. Who's that? <laughs> it's not his wife. But it's also I not Jody. It's Jody, but it doesn't seem very Jody. fair to yeah. Jody. No, it's not, and it's, and that's not Jody the on the cover. Of the title is not to describe the book. The purpose of the title is Indeed. to get people to buy the book. Life was one lust-filled orgy for this Sin Hellcat, right? Notice there's a guy there, but his job is just to observe the naked woman, right? It's it, it's it's a very strange market. So setting aside all the silly stuff and the stupid stuff and the immoral stuff it feels a lot like a Lawrence Block Donald Westlake book, more like a Lawrence Block book in my opinion Um, Trish you said you were a big Lawrence Block fan have you read a series of his called Chip Harrison or it's not called Chip that's the character, Chip Harrison I haven't read that, I've read about a dozen of the Matthew Scudder books books. I've read 10 of the 11 Bernie Rodenbar books of the burglar mm-hmm. who um all of the evan tanner books five of the too. six keller hitman books Those and a too. few of his short story collections yeah and since i'm on a on a list here i'll go ahead and say that um the book the lawrence block book that i've read that ta- that is not soft porn that talks the most about sex that is mm-hmm. the most interesting about sex is small town yeah, that is yeah, a set in New York. Three book about intersecting lives in New York City, and one of the characters is a uh, police official who gets into kinky sex. Sure, sure does. Under the table at a restaurant. And <laughs> the mental flexibility he had developed through his kinky sex excavates helps him get through the ordeal. Yes. So he, that is he gets, a book that I would recommend. He gets pegged in that book, is the word for it. <laughs> Uh, and if you don't know what the word peg is, don't go and search it up on the internet, is my advice. Just live in ignorance. <laughs> right. I mean, in any you case. You can't read Small Town if you can't handle it. I thought it was, I, I thought it was a good book. It's a good book. It's one of his non-series books, which he's mostly not known for. But I, I, I find pretty much everything he wrote good. The reason I bring up uh, the Chip Harrison series, which is, I think, just three books long, um, is because it starts off as one of these books. It starts off as a uh, sex book. The first one is called No Score. Get it? Um, <laughs> he's he he's. I don't know. There might be a tennis theme as well or something. 
uh, some sort of sports theme in the background. But the main thing is it's a young kid who goes on a quest to lose his virginity. But he's always frustrated. Something interrupts, like he finds some willing housewife or whatever, and then is interrupted, right? Um, And it continues, I think, until the end of the first book. And then uh, what happens is the second book is a Chip Harrison book, um, and it's called Chip Harrison Scores Again. (laughs) I get it. It's a series, so the titles Mm -hmm. overlap, right? But uh, in that one, it, it sort of forgets about the fact that it's supposed to be a sex romp, and it turns into uh, a Rex Stout, Nero Wolf-style mystery comedy mm. uh, with a kid who also wants to have sex. <laughs> and then by the third... <laughs> so the, uh, the first one is uh, No Score. Second one is Chip Harrison Scores Again. And then uh, it turns into Make Up With Murder, uh, and the topless tulip caper, right? So it's it, it, it literally has a guy who wants to be Nero Wolf's, uh, or wants to be Nero Wolf, Rex Stout's famous detective, except he's filed off the serial numbers on that, and instead of having like a tulip, no, not a tulip garden, what is it, a uh, orchid garden on top of his roof and not, le- not leaving home, he has, if you guys know who Rex Stout and Nero Wolf are, um, yes, I know. Yes. Okay, good. Um, instead of that, he has an aquarium, <laughs> and he also doesn't want to leave his home. Um, and then he has Chip Harrison, who is his uh, his man who goes and investigates. What's that equivalent character in the Rex Stout books? Archie, Archie Goodwin? Goodwin. Yeah, that's Archie right. Goodwin. Yeah. So uh, Chip Harrison is the Archie Goodwin, and he goes off, and in, in, you know has a he's supposed to learn to memorize everything anybody says and give it back verbatim to Nero Wolf. And instead, he just goes there uh, with a notepad and has sex with the witness <laughs> and then comes back and reports. And it's just hilarious. It is weird because it's a, a, a mystery series, supposedly, but that's not why you're reading it. You're reading it because it's <laughs> funny. Um, so, yeah, this is not a book designed to be uh, read what fifty years later, more than fifty years later, right? Well, we did it anyway. Well, that's my point. Is is uh, Westlake and Block are still readable, even though it's uh, yeah very out of the times in terms of it's got a casual fag in here, and there's some uh, there was another piece of. There's a little bit of slut talk and stuff like that, but not, I don't think that any of that was super offensive. Um, but yeah, the the rape scene, I think, is a requirement of them getting paid. Notice all the different kinds of sex that happen in here. It's like a checkbox list. Well, one of them is hit every scenario. Yeah, one of them yeah, is. I'm, I'm not saying I hate them for writing this book, and I agree that it probably should be judged by its time, but I think a whole lot of modern readers will not enjoy it for the reasons <laughs> that I mentioned. And also, yes. you know, just because, it's, it, like I said, it's dreary in places while he's talking about his rise to his through his career that he doesn't like or feel proud of. I'm impressed uh, that he even had a career. You know, I, I don't really want that in my life, but <laughs> oh well. So, here's the thing. So, I, when I read this initially, I thought a lot about like 
the 1950s consumerism, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. discussion of that, right? The on how to sell it, you know, mm-hmm. like how to have not just selling the book, but like of course selling. Like he's an ad advertising, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, he's about the a lot about the car he's driving and the house and his kind of ennui about all of that, right? So he's kind of a successful 50s. He's like a successful like post-war American man, right? Mm-hmm. Objective. Achieving all these things, but you know, he's unfulfilled in all these ways. And what is he unfulfilled in? He's he's unfulfilled in the way that like someone of that older generation looking down at the at the younger generation. I guess that'd be the boomers, right? Mm. Yeah, that maybe a little bit it's a little bit early to be a novel of the sexual revolution, but I kind of thought of this in the in the back of my head, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the the anxiety like that the younger people have more fun than me. <laughs> and so you so so as a as a as a consumer item itself, this novel is targeted towards those people who, you know, that that kind of work their way into the middle class in the post war period, but can see kind of something that they're lacking in that. that that that's not fulfilling enough for them right and in this most vulgar way it's like what what we're missing is like the fun and that's reflected in this in the in this the sexual ex- escapades of our of our character mm-hmm. i think it opens very strongly and 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 so you're you're saying dreary i don't think i don't think any of it was dreary okay the the beginning and the end were not dreary. No, no, they're they're fun. Like they're caperish. They're um, and his description. Oh well, his their descriptions of things are enjoyable. Um, I, I, I mean, the caper when when when, when the, the caper is ridiculous, the, but fun. It's ridiculous and was and was my favorite part of the book because that was actually funny and same felt more felt, felt most like a Lawrence Blanc D- Donald Westlake plot than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it tr- tried to wash out my mouth of the bad taste of the mouth or rape scene. And, and as I'm following them watching, okay, they're going to go to Brazil and oh, what is the package? Oh, it's a boy. And mm. like, like surprise. It's like, it's like, surprise. the kid didn't sound like a human being to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he, he felt like he was on Xanax. <laughs> Did not feel it felt like a adult pretending to be a kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> very fake, but it didn't really matter um, because it was so cartoonish. It was like it was like I the A team. Expe- I was half expecting the the guy in Brazil to actually be his former boss that he he. With the corporate shenanigans that he did not uh, back in the power play, I was half expecting that to come back, but this is not that kind of novel where you'd have that sort of turnaround. But that would have been that would be fun. You know, like remember the scene the that, is, right before that matters, the end. Like those corporate shenanigans don't matter. Exactly. Like, it's just the. It's yeah. But some people live their life for that stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, which well, is why well, they. Have I, to I mean, this yes, novel. I've seen I've seen Mad Men. I mean, yeah, I mean. This is this is Mad Men written in the time of Mad Men in a sense. No, but Mad Men is way more interesting than life actually was. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Mad Men takes all the book. stories of Madison Avenue and puts them all in one law, one one ad it's firm, right? One ad firm. Yeah, I keep but, thinking but about the, the poor guy who reads this novel because it's 
his only way to escape the banality of his existence. Yes. I mean, I mean 50s, I mean, I mean, ad, ad things were the epitome of the 50s. I mean, you think of the Space Merchants, for example, which mm-hmm. satirizes mm-hmm. from a science fiction point of view. Mm-hmm. That was the the fifties was the time of weird advertise weird and uh, br- uh, brash advertising. So I, I want to uh, I, I like I think the most interesting part about this book is if you've read a lot of Westlake and Block, you can sort of see how they construct their books and their writings, and and you see like for example, I want to point out um, there's two things that are kind of weird near the end of the book. One is we get an extra scene where he has sex with his neighbor's wife, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's some really funny lines in there, um, which is worth reading for me, this whole book, just uh, for a few more <laughs> Westlake block funny lines. I really think are, you know, just hilarious. But that scene doesn't make any sense to have in the book if this is a good plot. <laughs> and the reason no, it doesn't it's a checkbox. It's a checkbox, exactly. That the adultery with the redheaded neighbor was one point where I actually did laugh out loud at one of the lines. Yeah, <laughs> there are there are some LOL lines genuinely. It's not a humor all the way book, but it's definitely got some funny bits. And another thing that is kind of striking is w- with the drama at the the ad firm, right? It starts off. He's going to betray his his uh, the guy who hired him, and then the author changes his mind. <laughs> and I think that was a, uh, one of these situations where one writer says, "Okay, I'm done. You take over," and the other says, "No, no, no. We're going a different way." Um, and there is a there is a book. And this is something that. Uh, you know, you even see in Lovecraft. I don't think Evans covered it yet, but um, there's a. Uh, I think it's the chal- It's called the Challenge from Beyond. You guys know about this book? No. Okay, it's not a good book. Oh, that where four different writers. Yeah. Uh, went, you know, like a Lovecraftian idea, and then did various things with it. Yes. So uh, what? Yeah, actually, what, um, I think it's it was called a Ron, round robin. Did an audio version of that. Yeah, uh, it's not good. Which is worth checking out. Starts off with C. L. Moore, then A. Merritt, H. P. Lovecraft, uh, Frank Balknop Long, and Robert E. Howard, and then just Frank Balknop Long. It's not very long, but basically one writer starts it, then they mail it to the next guy who takes over the next chapter, and then he writes that chapter based on what is happened so far, and then, you know, the next person has to deal with all the stuff that came earlier, right? So C.L. Moore has an easy job, but she's also trying to, you know, tweak the noses of her fellow authors who are going to get this thing, right? Um, there's a similar book, uh, uh, same title uh, that's a science fiction one with Stanley Weinbaum E.E. Uh, e. Doc Smith Donald Wandry, Harl Vincent and Murray Leinster right? the idea here is not to not to uh, make an entertaining book but to you know frust- it's like playing tennis uh, but and not frisbee they're trying to frustrate each other um, so there's a similar book um called Naked Came the Manatee um, out of Florida. And I think it had Elmore Leonard and Donald Westlake. uh, And they're all, it's like a murder mystery. (laughs) And they're basically just trying to frustrate each other, 
right? They're trying to make it so that I put your character in an impossible situation. Um, now, take that. And then the next author has to keep the plot going. So it's not designed to be a, a, a straight-up story that's enjoyable. It's designed to be a meta story, right? And so these two guys get together to write books together because nobody wants to write this shit. <laughs> so, so they make it a meta game and then they split the cash and it's not much cash, right? It's just, you know, but you'd also don't have to put in that much effort. You just sit, sit the typewriter, write for a while and then hand it to your, your co-author. He writes for a while and hand it back to him. And then now we got enough. We did all the, all the scenes we had to, I'm glad I didn't have to write that rape scene. Um, <laughs> basically is what it is. And yet, um, it's still pleasurable to read, generally. It, it, I don't feel like I wasted my time, but I certainly didn't learn anything. <laughs> Not much, anyways. I mean, there, there were occasional touches here and there, because, because, the, because the, uh, the main character is an English major, so there are occasional touches here. Oh, yeah, that's, that's all legit. Like, Lawrence Block <laughs> went to a Midwestern university and studied English and then moved to New York. And, like, uh, Barrow Street is mentioned. Uh, that's, I believe, in Greenwich Village. Um, there's another book I, I think Block wrote called 69 Barrow Street, right? Gr- Greenwich Village uh, sex books were huge. This, so this is funny, right? We go to the bookstore now and we look uh, what's for sale. There isn't, like, a sex fiction section. There's, like, the romance section, uh, which is generally for women. Then there's a the guy romance section, which is like the Deathland stories where it's all about the guns and the post-apocalyptic, you know, saving the compound and, you know, prepper sort of thing. But there isn't like a sex section. Like the, like you would go into Blockbuster. Remember Block, Block, Blockbuster? You go into Blockbuster, and then in the back there's like a special room. <laughs> you have to be 18 to go into. I think that was Blockbuster, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Well, well, well yeah, some video certainly stars video stars. That, yeah, eighteen right. over section. Right, I remember. Um, and so that that section used to exist in bookstores. It doesn't exist anymore. And if you go to like in Vancouver, there's a, a bookstore chain, very small, called Pulp Fiction. You go in there, and they have them under glass. These these sex books. They are absolutely designed to be disposable in a way more so than regular paperbacks because you use them <laughs> as your pornographic enjoyment, right? This is a way for you to get your rocks off while you're in your hotel on your sales trip, Evan, <laughs> across the United States selling shoe brushes or whatever it is that you sell. And then... Yeah, you chuck them out in the bin at the uh, at the uh, vending machine. <laughs> you know, while you're uh, going to go tuck in, uh, maybe watch a movie, get dinner, read your sex book. In the morning, you chuck it in the bin. Because it's not designed for... It's like a newspaper, except even less, less interesting, because there's no historical uh, sort of <laughs> reason for keeping it around. The library doesn't keep a copy. Right, this, these books are not designed to be kept in any way, 
and yet somehow There's dime novels from the end of the 19th century e- e- but like, even those see, the, these are these are not read by people who study like literature usually indeed and, indeed like, so there's this great book, which I urge you guys to read, called Mechanic Accents. It's mm. a history book, but it's a history of the dime novel. Cool. These are from the late 19th century. This, this main thesis is essentially that these novels, it's a pretty obvious thesis, I guess, but it's that they project the, the desires of this, this working class mm-hmm. as they're kind of being pushed into factories in the, in the later part of the 19th century, right? From the farms oh, yeah. to, the, it's to the factories. Mm-hmm. And... And there's actually something of really historical interest here. And that's, I think, the danger of kind of like not reading this stuff is we kind of miss out on this this part of something that's really real in consciousness of, mm. I assume, most men, but maybe not entirely. If we remember Ulysses, uh, Leopold Bloom must buy these types of books for his wife mm. at, at, a, at a little side, like a street bookseller. Um, so I don't know if it's just men reading this stuff. No, it's not just men. Uh, a lot yeah. of lesbian books were consumed by both men and women. Lawrence Block wrote a ton of them. And you, show, Trish, you notice like later on, he, he especially Block is very interested in s- having sex as a theme in his books. Like, um, what's the, uh, I think in the third, I think it's in the third burglar book he gets a sidekick character who runs the pet grooming right, business the, the woman who runs the dog parlor yeah the, the dog poodle poodle factory it's called is the name yeah. of her her dog grooming business and she's the lesbian sidekick right um mm-hmm. and uh it's not about sex it's just that's just happens to be her persuasion right but she's she's his sherlock holmes is uh, she's the John Watson, right? She's there to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have, like, even in that first Lawrence Block book, which is called, uh, what's it called? Burglars Can't Be Choosers? I think yeah. that's, yeah. Um, it, it's kind of a sex book, too. Like, he goes into an apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. it, it, it's, he's, he's coming out of that genre. Westlake lasted a little longer in science fiction um, than Block did. Block basically has two stories that are early, maybe three stories that are early SF short stories, and then he's basically doing this uh, for a while, and then he starts getting into, you know, other genres of disposable paperback books, but he comes out of this tradition of, you know, I write for money, and I didn't send it to you guys, I probably should have, um... Uh, it's a, there's an interview, not interview. It's basically. The one you tweeted last Yeah, week? I tweeted it. Lawrence yeah, Block talking the, about Westlake. That West, was an like, interesting clip. You should put it in the show notes. Yeah, all right. Um, I'd, I'd seen it years ago, so it wasn't news to me. But um, it, it's Westlake talking about, oh, sorry, Block talking about Westlake. Westlake had died uh, a few years earlier. Um, and there was a new book of his that had just come out from Hard Case Crime. And so we talked about writing with him. And where that book came from is Lawrence Block had a copy of this this novel that didn't sell. Um, and the reason it didn't sell is because, you know, it, it was about Bob Hope, basically. Um, and it's called, oh, no, that, sorry, I'm thinking of the comedy is finished, which is a later one. Uh, memory is a very interesting 
it's not science fiction, but it's not fantasy, but it's something like that. Um, anyways, it's a, it's about a guy with no memory. Um, in any case, uh, it didn't sell. If it had sold, he would have wrote, written more of, of that. He would have explored that genre. Right? The reason these guys wrote series, uh, the uh, burglar books or whatever, is because that's what sold. They, the publisher said, write more of this. I can sell more of this, so I, mm-hmm. I can pay you. Um, but they're always experimenting in the background. So um, Lawrence Block wrote a book that's basically a, uh, it's a supernatural romance horror called Ariel. It's a haunted house story. Um, and it's, you know, it doesn't have any stature because it's not a series. There's no way to market it again. Um, unless somehow there was a movie made of it and it's not that kind of movie. He wrote a, a, a book called Random Walk, which is another thing that you see in his stories. Uh, he, he wrote a book about race walking. <laughs> it's cause he race walks, right? They're writing about things they're interested in. In mm-hmm. the Keller books, you see a lot of stamp collecting stuff, Right. And that's because right. he's interested in that. That's what he does, right? So he writes about what he knows. But there are avenues that are explainable through their upcoming through this industry. And it's a very weird industry, right? R- writing books. These guys are not on the level of Stephen King where whatever they write, you know, it's instant headlines. People want to get a piece of it you know, make a movie out of it. It's it's not J.K. Rowling level of, of popularity. Lawrence Blanc is well below that, but he managed to make a living, and he has really interesting books. Like, there's a book Evan would probably really like. It's very Stephen King-like, I think, um, called Random Walk. And it's basically about a guy who just, uh, he decides, that's it, I'm leaving. <laughs> he starts walking and has no destination in mind. And as he starts walking, things happen, and maybe he's Jesus, uh, but probably not. <laughs> maybe he's Jesus? Yeah, because he's, he's sort of collecting followers, and there's other people on the road, too. And is he a new style of uh, religious leader? He doesn't think so. But uh, that doesn't stop people from walking with him, right? And it's like, well, that's a weird idea for a book. It's because he had this weird idea, and it didn't sell, right? That's why there isn't Random Walk 2, or whatever it would, be, would have been called, right? It's because it's just a weird idea. So they experiment down avenues to see what sells, and what sells is what they do. <laughs> and so that's why Lawrence Block, who I think of as more of a comedic writer, has this whole dark half with the, the not the Keller books, which are kind of comedic. But rather, um, what, what's the uh, one that got turned into a movie recently? A Walk Among the Tombstones? What's that character called? Trish? Oh, that's the Matthew Scudder. Matthew books. Scudder series, right? That's the one he's do best get known for. Awfully dark sometimes. The, yeah. They're so dark. Misa was on one of them, and she, she had trouble finishing that book because there's like rape murder um, happening. And who's the wife in that series? She's an ex hooker, right? So. The, Lawrence Block knows this area somehow, right? I don't know him personally, but uh, he knows a lot about sex, and he wrote a lot about it. Donald Westlake didn't write that much about sex, 
but he did write these books and he wrote some on his own as well. It's because it's, it, it, so the reason I wanted to talk about this book is because it's a new Lawrence Block, uh, Donald Westlake book, both great writers. And it's not SF, but it's about the shaping of the industry and how some, it's amazing. Lawrence Block was writing these books in the sixties, right? He's still alive and still writing. Mm-hmm. And he still um, has made a living since, you know, all the way back then. And he, he puts out a newsletter every every month, and he's he's still putting books out, not just and old you're books. Conversing with him, well, he's a little active bit on Twitter, or yeah, he's, he's he is active on Twitter. Somebody is no, no, it's <laughs> him, name. it's him. He's he's he was super anti-Trump, uh, <laughs> amongst other things. Um, he was he he is definitely a Twitter user, and that's amazing. Because he's still engaged with his, and if you read his newsletter, it's like reading his prose in novels. It's just beautiful. He's he's got a way with words, and that's really cool. Uh, it makes me think. Oh, I wish there was more Westlake still coming out. And every once in a while, there's yeah. a new Westlake coming out because it was in a drawer, and or it was uh, published once in the '60s, and and now it can get reprinted. But it also makes me think a lot about, like, the, one of the reasons Lawrence Block is still uh, doing well is because he is in command of his estate. <laughs> he, well, yes, that, that's very key. But, like, it, like he's, he's very dynamic in that, you know, he hires the narrators, right? He used to do the narration himself, and he liked it, but and people liked him doing it, but he also thought it was a lot of work, and it's easier to hire some guy, right? And, uh, you know, that's not really his forte, although I think he was a great narrator as well. Um, it makes sense, like, t- that you can sort of really wrestle control and make yourself available out there if you're still alive, but it's very hard not, to, you know, to do that if... You know, Westlake stuff is less out there because there's a bigger, more people in charge of making decisions, which means not a lot of decisions get made. Very frustrating. And and all that is fascinating. It makes me understand writing better and why stories are important. Like, this is just a weird genre. I'm very interested in why genres exist, like the dime novels. I've not read one. I want to read one, but I haven't found the one I want to read. And yet I understand sort of the stuff from later, like the Nancy Drews, which are very much formulas as well. Nancy (laughs) Drews are absolutely formulas, and they're a kind of weird thing that boys and girls and even some adults can enjoy, even though they are so formulaic. Maybe that's what we like about them. I don't know. I mean, there is a comfort. There is a, there's a, uh, there's a cozy feeling to a genre or a subgenre. Like when I pick one, if I pick up a space opera, I'm I'm expecting okay, interstellar stuff, weird planets, spaceships, and so so some of the things I I'm like preloaded for some of the things I'm going to hopefully find in the novel, and when the novel completely overturns those genre expectations it can either be freeing or it can be frustrating like this is space opera why are we stuck on just one planet in one city and not going anywhere this is not space opera i feel cheated Mm. 
so, so I remember. Sorry. So so yeah so, so, so subgenres and genres can can be straight jackets, but sometimes you want the cozy chair, and you want you want the because because sometimes you just want to read for pleasure and don't want to extend or break out of your yeah boundaries. it can be escape right, right. but uh, what's funny about this genre is that it, it it's it's very biological right <laughs> yes. I, 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 it, this is a, this is a genre of biological relief <laughs> i'm going to read the uh, about the book that Lawrence Block pointed me to um <laughs> when i asked him uh, what he remembered about it. Uh, <laughs> the problem is, you know, you wrote a book uh, over a weekend <laughs> in the 1960s. <laughs> kind of hard to remember. So, uh, sure. he's a bit, I mean, I can barely remember a lot of the stuff I wrote. He showed it to me. I, I see. Oh, yeah. It's vaguely familiar. Okay. So, this is what he wrote. This is the third novel Donald E. Westlake and I did in collaboration, uh, Sin Hellcat. And I think it might have been the best of the three. But we didn't get to put a joint byline on it. Well, we did, but someone at Nightstand felt free to change it. Dropping Alan Marshall from the by Alan Marshall and Andrew Shaw byline we'd supplied. Uh, supplied. Much the same thing happened to Circle of Sinners, my collaboration for Nightstand with Hal Dresner by Andrew Shaw and Don, Don Halliday is what we tagged it. And this time it was Andrew Shaw who got bumped. Well, it's correct now. Sin Hellcat, like its fellows, has both names on the cover, and our names not the ones we donned for our work in the world of paperback erotica. When the two of us were starting as our, out as writers, we both served as an apprenticeship with erotic novels for Harry Shorten at Midwood Books. I thought that was always a funny name for the sex. There's another book publisher called Midwood. <laughs> uh, and Bill Hamling at Nightstand. I was Sheldon Lord for Midwood and Andrew Shaw for Nightstand while Don was Alan Marshall for both publishers. Note, though, that the presence of either name upon a book is no guarantee that one of us wrote it. Both of us made arrangements whereby lesser writers would submit works under our names. And I know it's hard to believe that any writers were less, less than we were back then, but it is true. Uh, well, we'd become friends in the summer of 1959, while we were living a few blocks away from each other in midtown Manhattan. I was at the Hotel Rio on West 47th between 6th and 7th Avenues, and Don was a block south and several blocks west of me. Then I moved back to my parents' house in Buffalo, and Don and his wife and kid moved to Canarsie, and we wrote letters back and forth. At one point, we decided it might be fun to do a novel together, not thinking it out or talking through it and, you know, collaborating in any serious artistic manner. Our method was simpler. One of us would write a chapter, and then the other would write a chapter to come after it, and back and forth, like that, until we had a book. It worked, and by God, it was fun. The first of our efforts was A Girl Called Honey, and it started when I wrote a chapter and sent it to Don, and so on. And we stopped when we had a book and sent it to Harry Morrison, who <laughs> sent it to Harry Shorten. We put both our names and on the book. stopped books. when he had a book. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's right. We both put our names on the book, our pen names, that is to say, and that's how Harry published it, by Sheldon Lord and Alan Marshall, and he included our dedication to Don Westlake and Larry Block, who introduced us. <laughs> it was so much fun that we did it again. This time, Don wrote the first chapter, and I wrote the second. Was I in Buffalo? Uh, was, I still in, was I still in Buffalo? And when we did send chapters through the mail... Damned, if I can remember, I, can't, I think I may have been in New York by then, living with my first wife on West 69th 
street. But maybe not. What And what does it matter? We finished uh, the book, we sent it in, Midwood published it, and we shared the advance, which was probably $600. Uh, girl called Honey. But may have escalated to 750 by the time we did So Willing. <laughs> so each of us wound up with either 300 or $375 for our trouble. And that's not a lot of money nowadays, but it was a lot of money in the 19 it, but it wasn't a lot of money in 1960 either, but neither was it a lot of trouble. Damn, those were good days. Never mind. Here's Sin Hellcat, and if reading it brings you a small fraction of the fun we had writing it, you'll be right back to scoop up a girl called Honey and so willing. Um uh, there's also, um, I want to point out that these three books were collected uh, in a very beautiful covered book called Hell, uh, Hellcats and Honey Girls. Um, that there's a publisher, Subterranean Press. Um, mm-hmm. Subterranean Press is a big publisher of SF stuff. And they're a really good publisher of Lawrence Block and Donald Westlake stuff as well. Um, but they they put a lot of effort into making a beautiful cover. This just recycles the original, very boring, uh, Sin Hellcat cover. So <laughs> it is a disposable story, and yet fascinating. At least, at least it, it just reminds me like when I was a kid and I went to the bookstore, or even the used bookstore. These books did not exist. You have to ask for them. At the at the specialty bookstore, now they've got you know plastic covers and they're very expensive, and they're absolute trash books. Right? They're designed to uh, be. They're like it's like reading old Playboys, except Playboys were much more salacious than the. I mean, the sex in here is it's very well written. You notice like um, the jokes may not be funny, but the sex scenes are like they're not foolishly terrible like I, I read a lot of 80s books and 90s books or i read a lot of 80s books and 90s books where it would be like some space story or some some in a fantasy story and then there's like a sex scene and like oh my god it this is the most stupid thing i've ever read <laughs> like you could just see how badly they know they don't they don't know what to say. They don't know how to put, what was it, the line in here? Put tab A into slot B. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so funny when he, uh, these guys write those scenes is that, you know, like he'll mention a nipple here or there or the shape of a waist or whatever. But it's, it's not, like they just have a talent for writing. Yeah, there's, like I said, there's some very clever wordplay in a lot of these passages that make them a lot more bearable to listen to. Um, One thing about uh, uh, listening to sex in audiobooks is that it's harder to skim past it than in a book. But you don't need to. Also, they're they're very light. I mean, the sex scenes don't go on page after page, right? Mostly it's not sex scenes. No, I it's mean, thinking a lot about of stuff, them, but yeah. they don't. Well, uh, maybe yeah. is there yeah. six or ten? Long. There, it, it, it's it's like I think there was maybe ten sex scenes, right? I don't know, something like that. Um, and there's like is the chat? There's not the chapters aren't very long either, but uh, you know, there's many passages in this that are perfectly, you know, perfectly good. You know, just scenes. 
Like, I, I, I liked all the stuff about them going to the hotel and not, <laughs> you know. And then the right. really the squeaky like noises on the bed. He and realizes that he's in a honey trap. And he just basically says, I don't care if you publish. Right, right. leaves me. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that goes back to the whole whatever I was saying. But like, I, why did he ever marry Helen? I can't buy that entire bit of plot line. I mean, it seemed like, maybe I'm wrong. It seemed like he, he was, it was trying to go for the oh, the the pleasures of the virgin bride thing, but why would he, why would he go so devotedly to try to have a virgin bride when he's had sex with many partners at this point? It just seemed <laughs> real, no matter how beautiful well, Helen is. Well, that's how much that Helen's good looking, but <laughs> beyond that. Mm. Well, it's a check mark, but the fact is there are a whole lot of people who get married that you look at that couple and think, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... I, I, yes, it's not hugely believable, but then again, there, a lot of people just do inexplicable things, so I'm not as bothered by that. <laughs> and, I, and I had a terrible thought after the marital rape scene that the marital rape scene exists to explain why he couldn't annul the marriage because it had been consummated because there's a whole bit about yeah, it. Yeah, and that never came up, though, right? <laughs> it, it, it comes up with the bit with the, the, like, a, oh, oh, yeah, a marriage isn't a marriage if, if it's been consummated because there's a whole thing with the bigamy bit yeah. about that. So it's like, okay, so we have to have them having, he has to have sex with Helen so we can explain why he just didn't have it annulled when it turned out they were completely... But notice that that's not a sexy scene at all, right? There's there's a there's a sex scene with um with the uh, the Jewish um, secretary Laura. and she's she's got like uh, claws right this cutting them up and right. biting them she, she likes to bite and scratch right um that that's a lot uh, like the rape scene is not uh, titillating I, no no see I think that this book is designed to sell to everybody right so they that's why there's all these variations like there's the scene where i guess jody's saying now i'm you're you're an old sultan and you can't get it up anymore and now i'm a young boy i'm the boy yeah right and then it's followed up with uh, i'm pregnant right (laughs) and he says uh you might be constipated but you're not pregnant (laughs) um ha 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 that scene is in there because this book is designed to sell to Everybody, and they don't want to, you know, like, it's it's like a product that, you know, oh, uh, this is the wrong kind of sex scene for me because I'm not gay. Uh, this is the wrong kind of sex scene because I'm, uh, my wife is, uh, what's what's the word here on the back of the book? It's uh, frigid, right? Um, so a marital rape scene will get somebody's rocks off. It's not going to get yours off. It's not going to get mine off. But it's going to get somebody's off. And the thing is, is... It's illegal, uh, I guess, today. I don't know what the legality of it was then. It probably was, uh, you know, mixed bag. But to me, the most interesting thing was that they even talked about all the abortions and, like, worrying about the condoms and stuff like that. Because that's actually realistic, right? Like, um, this is uh, right before we get the birth control pill, uh, you know, out into modern society and everybody using it um and yet uh sex was happening then too so if he doesn't have his uh 
his um what's the word he is it's not a condom a thingy i think she called it you have a thingy (laughs) um then we can't have sex because i don't want to get a baby in me like my friend whatever her name is uh who got a baby in her and like helen is there not because like she just doesn't do anything for the story but it's one of the check boxes you have to go through. And so, yeah, you feel dirty when you write it. That's why you don't put your name on it, right? <laughs> That's why he's Andrew Shaw and it's Alan Marshall rather than uh, Lawrence Block and Donald Westlake because they're not proud of it. And right. uh, well, I think partly she's there just to also give a reason for him to be willing to chuck up his life and just Absolutely. go off. Yeah, there's a lot uh, of excuses like, I'm sure for that. A lot of people These are fantasy books. Whatever boring job you have, like to read a story about a guy who just throws it all away and goes off on an adventure. And mm-hmm. there's a good reason for him because he has nothing to return home to. So that's the funny thing is I I thought and the scene where he's at the the bar with his feet uh out of his shoes mm-hmm. I thought that I thought that uh, ad executive was gay and he was hitting on him. That's what I thought at first, right? Yeah. And of course, it doesn't go in that direction at all. But that's how it feels, right? Because uh, you know, you're an original thinker, <laughs> or whatever right. the line is. And talking about staying at the YMCA, right? And all the dark-eyed boys, thing. right? And so it, it's all set up for that. And I, I was thinking, like, it, is this? And it and it up twists on those expectations like no it's a job offer so uh, so these um like lesbian pulp it was a huge thing because it's it's interesting for men and it's interesting for lesbians so lesbians were very happy about it but gay pulp was not as big and i'm not sure why that was but finding gay pulp where it's obvious that it's about uh gay men is actually pretty scarce compared to the lesbian pulp and this, you know, straight pulp like I guess we have here. But I think that that might be a like a. It's a way for you get get what you want, and then you just sort of cover up the fact that it's a man, or the it's a woman he's having sex with later on. So that's why you get a scene like the um, the uh, Europe. Uh, uh, Sultan who can't get it up anymore. Um, and that's why you need a young boy scene. I think that, that the, the, these books are biologically driven, right? These are not, uh, they're not like, um, like I don't, I don't imagine most women who are reading romance novels are literally masturbating to them. That's not what I imagine. <laughs> I mean, it might be. I'm not with most women while they're reading romance novels, but I think it's it, it probably it's more like the long along the lines of of uh, you know most men reading those destroyer novels or wastelands or deathlands novels are not literally masturbating while holding their gun while reading the book, right? <laughs> I think that it's just it's sort of a fantasy uh, escape in the same way right. that this book is, but. It was a much more urgent thing because it's we have outlets for like sexual sexuality is a lot freer now and like a lot freer pornography is available. Um, right, the magazines a lot of it free online. But even the magazines of this period are not are not um, 
you know, they barely show anything. Like, if you look at Playboy or the others, it's quite a while before, you know, it becomes less guilt-ridden. And what's so amazing is there's no guilt in this book, is there? Yeah, but this is kind of why I think maybe not this book specifically is important, but maybe the genre. It, absolutely. The kind of culture behind it is, do you have the sexual revolution without this kind of confessional i guess it's not it is a confessional absolutely but a lot of the core texts of the sexual revolution like uh helen Gurley brown which is i think was published in 1962 uh sex in the single girl sex uh, i think it's sex in the single girl is the name of the book mm-hmm. and that's a confessional book and you have the kinsey reports mm-hmm. which are essentially confessional because they're based on interviews with people mm-hmm. just asking what do you do yep you know who do you have sex with and people confessed and that was like what was revolutionary about it dr alan e norse one of those it's not SF... that people were doing new things it's that they were being honest about it yes and mm-hmm. i think this literature plays a role in that transition absolutely to people being honest which of course is i mean coming out right the whole idea of coming out is just being mm-hmm. honest about who you are right right so uh, if we if we were to analyze this book uh, helen um being frigid is probably that she's not interested in men right well no she's been taught by her mother that bodily yeah. functions are disgusting and sex is both disgusting and terrified so I mean, we're told if you that. Think yeah. about Helen as he a wanted to punch the mother-in-law in the sorry face. Right? For her. <laughs> yeah, not uh, yeah, not yeah, think of her old, as a mean yeah, obstruction like to to um, uh, Harvey's life. Yeah, right, right. Because they talk about every bodily function in the, in Helen's family is considered with disgust. Right. If you involved. farted, sex you, is just her. Not. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, basically, the women in this book are. Uh, fall into mostly angel horror territory, but the writers are the capable are of lovable. complex women in their other writing. Um, I think they, I can't think of any that don't have male protagonists in their books, but you know, they have some, hmm. some interesting and complex women in their books. I think Ariel's main character is a female. It's a Gothic romance. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember a lot of, Westlake or Block novels with female mainly main characters, viewpoint characters. Right. But they can have, you know, women with, you know, more than one note of personality. Sure. But that's obviously not what's called for in this book of check marks. <laughs> yes. Um, I, yeah. So I want to point out that uh, Evan mentioned the Kinsey report. Um, so that, that spawned a whole, like, uh, I don't follow pornography that much. Uh, I mean, I know about it, but like, it seems to follow genres. So there's like, there's cartoon porn. There's also like, um, some sort of noise in the background here. Uh, anyways, there's other kinds, but they seem to follow like trends. So there's like superhero movie comes out. There'll be a fake superhero porn movie. In fact, that was one of the things that was in uh, the boys is you can watch the superhero versions of, you know, A train does a, a P train or oh, whatever yeah, sort of thing, right? So it's kind of it, it 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 sort of mirrors popular culture, right? But when the Kinsey report came out, 
suddenly this was a license to write about all the weird sexual behaviors. And so I remember Lawrence Block and maybe Westlake as well had a doctor pseudonym that they used to, you know, it's an excuse. Now you can sell the book not in the back of the shop behind a veiled curtain, but actually in the front of... Yeah, well, today under glass with a very thick plastic wrapper around it and a high price on it. The the book could be sold at the front of the store, and now you're reading a, a scientific thing, and it's just like uh, sexual perversion among the the hippies. <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah, this uh, three, this young woman told me this story, and it's like a little sex scene, right? So it's like, um, and Alan E. Norse, um, who's a famous SF writer, if you think of the tiers, he's probably third tier. Um, he, there's a few of his books on LibriVox. He's a good writer. Um, he made a living uh, writing books, mostly uh, to do with uh, SF and medicine, but he also wrote a sex book because there's the, there was a demand for it. And that was not unusual. That was a whole genre um, in the 60s after the Kinsey thing came out. And it's gone, right? We don't have these sex sex books anymore. And in the 30s, they had, you know, women around the world or marital secrets that you would order away for in the back of a uh, sort of sleazy uh, pulp mag. You could order away for these special books that you couldn't find on the newsstands. French, French uh, Follies or whatever books. And it, it wasn't just nudes. It was... It was uh, like manuals on how to do stuff, and and right. and it, so Enjoying it's sex and all that. Yeah, and it, it, it's really interesting because the intersection between industry and popular culture and what grandma's willing to talk about, what what your mom's willing to tell you, books serve a function, right? It's a way of getting information into your head without having to ask. And and more importantly, you can't trust what somebody says uh, if you have to, you know, they haven't read anything about it. They don't know anything about it. They just have their their hang-ups or whatever. Um, so, you know, this is, this is very surprising, like how liberated everybody is from guilt feelings except for this one character, right? Helen. Everyone else is like, ah, sex everywhere, right? And it's like, oh, well, that's liberating. You don't have to feel like that religious hang-up that, you know, everything is is uh, sex and marriage. And yet they're worried about babies. And so it, it's fairly sophisticated. And that's why I wanted to do this is because if you don't understand this genre, you're sort of missing out um, on, on understanding reality. But you also don't want to read most of them because they're written as completely disposable. And even when... Lawrence Block and Donald Westlake are writing disposable garbage. It's pretty good. That way you get a dip into it without actually, you know, you should read a romance novel. They're not good, but read a good one. There are lots of really good romance. <laughs> yeah, 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 Jesse. Yeah. Uh, uh, don't, don't, let's, let's not just. No, no, maybe. I'm saying they are not good. I'm not saying there is no good romance novel. I'm saying as a genre, they're not good. Just like I, the, no, I, I disagree, I disagree with, that with that too. too. <laughs> okay, well you're wrong. I think you just read the wrong ones. <laughs> if you've read it. No, I have read a couple, and uh, more importantly, as a genre, they're not good. In the same way that the male version of that is not good, the gun polishing 
uh, Deathlands books. I know what they are, but there's like no intellectual heft to them. It's the wrong genre. And like this book, there's no intellectual heft to it, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I know people don't only read for intellectual heft, but that's really what reading should be about. <laughs> I mean, at least that that, some some level. People who say that science fiction novels are just rocket ships and ray guns, and any science fiction book that actually managed to be good, well, that's not really science fiction. Yeah, but notice I'm saying the opposite. I would say if it has rocket ships and ray guns, doesn't mean it's science fiction. right because lots of stuff has that and it's not right i mean science fiction is about the idea of here's a way of understanding reality and here's a book here's a here's a book that says this particular instance of this fact about reality is important to this story that's science fiction right like light speed if you say, ah, light speed doesn't matter, you can be doing another kind of science fiction. But uh, I think, I haven't read it, but that new uh, Kim Stanley Robinson book that's uh, called Aurora, I think it's called, right? Pissed a lot of people off because it's busting balloons, right? It did, it did piss me off, actually. And it, it's because it's busting balloons. Not because I, he's telling you a false thing. People aren't mad at that book because it doesn't have light speed. That is not at all why uh, people don't like that book. What's the reason they don't like it? Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I didn't read any of the... Con- I, I haven't read it. I didn't read any of the people complaining about the Paul, book. you didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? I, 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 I didn't like it because, I mean, it's not even so much as busting the balloons. It's the book... It's saying you're I, deluded, right? What's that? What's that? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, the book's premise is that interstellar tra- travel is completely impractical, and we shouldn't. That's we correct. shouldn't do it, and we shouldn't even try. It it, it is a yep. profoundly, profoundly uh, stick. Just keep your feet on the ground and forget about the stars. Sort of science fiction, yep. which is which. <laughs> That's is, why you don't like it. <laughs> well, 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 because I mean, science fiction is supposed to be about expanding ideas and. And possibilities, and what if, and what, and what could be, and this novel saying no, well, this gigantic part of science fiction, forget about it. That's right. It does. It's it's never going to happen. You shouldn't. And you're, and I mean, given the given the plot at the back half of the book about the problems that Earth has, the, the novel's message is you're a bad person for even wanting <laughs> wanting it. Yep, it, you it, are. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is it's not. It, it's saying th- that that's not real science fiction, right? Anything like Star Trek is not real science fiction, and he is correct. Now, the thing is, is it is a different kind of science fiction. But if you get deluded into the idea that we are going to be traveling faster than light, when there's absolutely no evidence that we could possibly do that, in fact, everything says but, it's against it, ma- then you are mistaken. And and he has made that point in a way that hurts people in the same way that the cold equations does. It hurts. Also, people don't like it because, you know, it's also long shrill, evil female president and other, you know, bad characterization and stuff. But I mean, I mean, I felt I felt attacked. I mean, I've read a lot of Kim Stanley Robinson novels before this one, but I felt 
like this novel is telling me that I shouldn't be reading Kim Stanley Robinson because wow. because I, I because I, because I I, I, sh- I shouldn't be reading because I there there was still is a movement in SF called mundane SF. Mm-hmm. Have any of you ever heard of it? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so basically, this is almost like a a manifesto of that movement. I hate that movement to begin with as well because I mean, is is it likely that we're going to be going to be traveling between it's the stars. opposite of likely it's impossible what? it's uh, impossible well, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even talking about faster than light i'm talking about i'm talking about slower than light no stuff it's generation not, it's not, slow life is not impossible but is it likely i don't know but to forestall i, I mean you, he's basically he's basically walling off a giant part of the genre and the sense of wonder that got me into science fiction mm-hmm. to begin with and saying that I'm a bad person for liking and dreaming about this. Mm. And I should be dreaming about fixing earth and making earth better. That's, um, here, here's the, here's the counter one. Here's the counter example of that, um, remember time out of joint? Uh, vaguely. Yep. And, and the, and, and the whole message in time out of joint that, that, that uh, is being broadcast is the, uh, uh, one happy world. And it's like, we shouldn't be caring about anything other than Earth, and the main character finds out that no, that's bullshit. Yeah, I don't remember it that well. I, I, the, 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 well, once he escapes, Paul's right there. That, that's a, world. Yeah, it's this a, is setting an opposition and basically saying no. The the, the government of the government of Time Out Joint is correct. We should just be stuck worrying about Paul, our world. I, it's else. what I don't get about this. Over like it seems you're protesting a little too much about this. Like. Time on a Join is still there. Well, no. Kim Stanley Robinson's book does not abolish Star Trek. No, it doesn't abolish it, but it it's telling it's the, the it book strikes too close to I, the heart. I, is I, what I, it is. I, I, it doing doing it I think it's making a great point. Like I am doing it. I am doing science fiction. Fascists going to space. It's not going to end well. It, it's not an escape if we're fascists going out to space. Right. Okay. That's what I got out of that book. Because we shouldn't be Nazis, you know, and then go out to space. We should figure out how not to be Nazis before we even try. No, I, that's not I, the point. I, I, I think that's like, a fine but, point. I think that's a fine point. I, I, I mean, I mean, them going I going think that's to the like alien planet, kind of in time out of joint too. I mean, I mean, well, they they go to well, this solar system. They find that the quote Earth like planet is unbelievably toxic. The non Earth like airless planet is not livable. So it's it's all a it's all it's all a boondoggle and worthless project, and we should just and they have to so turn the around. The reason the project was boondoggled in that novel is because they they were conquerors when they left. It's a generation ship, so they forgot that they were conquerors. But am I am I thinking of the right novel, Aurora? Uh, I've not read it. They're, they're, they're not conquerors. The generation they're, ship they're colonists. Yeah, they, it's a generation ship, oh, but, but they're they, colonists. They, but they originally were set out as. That's basically fascist conquerors, right? I I, 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 don't, I didn't read the beginning part of that that's novel. The, like that's, that's why I think he's right. We, until we get our act together here, we shouldn't even think about things I like think you're thinking more Alan sounds, Steele. It sounds like I want to read this book now. <laughs> it's not fascist conquering. It's, it's, the, it's you know, the grand project of, of colonizing another planet and finding that, well, these planets have their own biological systems and... We're not compatible with them, so there's we can't live there, and you can't live on an airless. So you can't live on an airless. So Elon Musk wants to move 
move to Mars and turn it into. I don't. I, I don't give up about Elon Musk and what he believes and wants. No, he but, just has a lot of money. But he <laughs> no, he he doesn't just have a lot of money. He also has a plan, right? He wants to do this. So is he deluded? Is the question. Um, Kim Stanley Robin would say yes. And what would oh. you say? I don't know. I haven't. So you know that Kim Stanley Robinson would say it's no, but you don't know whether you would say it was no. Here's. I think that's interesting. Needed, I mean, from an objective point of view, the amount of resources needed to terraform another planet and live on it are less, are are far far more than would be needed to fix our own planet, and that's part fix, of Kim yeah. Stanley Robinson's. Earth's going to be fine. We're, we might kill ourselves, but Earth will be fine. No matter what we do to the Earth, if we nuke the entire Earth with every nuclear weapon right now and produced even more and then nuked it, Earth would be just fine. Uh, it, it would take a while, but time is you know what, on our the side. Or it's needed to make another world work are huge. Sure, that that is that it does not. Made for us are huge. Sure, and notice that that that's the reality, right? There, there is no planet nearby that we could go. Like they always there's discovering no, new no planets. planets too. <laughs> no, but right. they, and they talk about, ooh, this one's Earth side. It's in the Goldilocks zone. Yeah, it's also forty light years away, and there's no evidence that it has uh, any living things on it. So even if it has a little bit of oxygen in its atmosphere, which is an element, of course, there's going to be some. I'll be carbon dioxide, whatever. Um, we still look at that information and say, ooh, it's a possibility, right? But it's also like the same thinking that makes people buy lottery tickets. And yet you say, oh, well, yeah, but people do win the lottery. I'm like, yeah, and that's how they get tricked into buying the lottery tickets, right? In the case of, you know, space travel, if we get to Mars I'll be, and, you know, have humans on it for any length of time, I will be very surprised. Not just in my lifetime, but it's just like there's what it's it's not made for us, as you say, right? We have to we have a life we have a like a in our own bodies we have like a life support system. It's not a very good life support system, but if you think of your brain as the thing that's you, the rest of your body is your life support system. It's your spaceship that gets you there. Not only do we have to have this, we also have to have a new spaceship outside of our body called a spacesuit, and then maybe a dome so we can take that off occasionally, and rovers to move around the shovels of dirt or whatever. And usually they get around this by saying, space mining, right? Maybe they'll mine the moon. I mean, if you look at it like uh, Starship, uh, not Starship Troopers, um, uh, Moon is a Harsh Mistress is a realistic book. It's not perfectly realistic, but it's somewhat realistic. As in, these things are possible. It's possible to have tunnels on the moon for sure. Well, Fill them with oxygen. Well, you yeah, could do but, that. But, uh, but why? Suddenly, Robertson again for a second because 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 I'm, I'm going to ride this horse till it till it dies. Like <laughs> twenty through twelve, for example. Have you read twenty? No, I haven't read any any modern Kim Stanley Robinson. Evan, yeah. Trish, yes. Green Earth is that part of the Green Earth? No, no, one? it's standalone. I, I checked out the Green Earth, but never quite finished, uh, yeah. or even really started. Yeah, but yeah. Just, so twenty three twelve is basically a tour of the solar system in twenty three twelve, and he's got all sorts of very interesting human colonies and civilizations all across all across uh, 
the inner solar system, Mercury's got this moving city and all this stuff. And basically what Aurora is saying is that that's all bullshit and you should just stay on Earth. He's, 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 so, he, I mean, things like ice engine. I mean, he, it's like it's almost like saying it's almost like coming to the conclusion that all he wrote, wrote before was uh, nonsense <laughs> and that you should. I think you you're overstating it. Like no, but it. I, I think I, I think it's totally reasonable from the between the time he wrote the Mar- even in the Mars books, it's you we can't go like it can't be us to Mars. It has to be something new, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be a new social system entirely. Yeah, he says form, that in the Mars, Mars books, and that's right, and that's. Yeah, and that's and, the problem with Elon Musk. Elon Musk thinks somehow it can be an adjunct. It can be like a yeah. No, he doesn't get it. Yeah, uh, yeah, of of his company can can go to Mars. And the, the reason whole point that I'm of, not a nihilist is someday I want to oh, live oh, like in Star Trek, but oh, we can't start laying keels for starships till we tackle poverty, war, and hardships. <laughs> or, 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 you can lay. We we can literally. Or is that just... <laughs> That's a rap Lunacy. called "Matches" by Sifu Hotman. <laughs> we could right now lay a keel for the Star Trek Enterprise spaceship in orbit, but the engines wouldn't work because we got no dilithium crystals. Because dilithium crystals is bullshit, right? Antimatter and matter absolutely exist. However. When you put them together, we don't have any way to harness that power. We can't even get fusion going on Earth here. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I am so, not talking about faster than light travel here. I'm talking about the whole idea of of travel beyond beyond Earth's atmosphere is is basically BS. In I mean, Aurora just basically makes the point that we should just like keep our feet on the ground and except maybe for some weather satellites and fix the earth and just leave leave the rest of the universe to itself and and that's it's it that's an impoverishing view of science of science fiction and also one again i i feel really challenged here is like i am a bad person for liking space opera even though space opera is not realistic faster light travel is almost certainly never going to happen maybe it will but the the odds are the odds are infinitesimal <laughs> But, Apparently, in the end of this book, it says like Paul is a bad person because well, 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 I don't think that's I don't think I think because, you're I think you're reading that in and no, saying no, no, because towards, because the end of the book they're they're talking about trying to fix the earth and get everything better and that's where the the the, the emergent message of the of the novel comes through that like not only was this boondog this trip there back a boondog we should have been here all along. And we can we can we can build the Earth and rebuild it better, and that's what we should be doing all along. Rebuild the Earth; it doesn't need any building, well, well, right? Well, so yeah, it says science fiction actually is about us, though, isn't that the cliche about science fiction? It's always about us at the end of the day, it, right? It, like, yes, the, it, the, the it, story it, about it, aliens and people interacting with aliens is actually all about racism. Or yeah, something. or we we go. Space, we meet some. So like, when it right? isn't, when it isn't about gender, it's actually about how we we treat each other. But even when it isn't, right? Even when it isn't, like if you think like uh, Ted Chang, right? And he's writing about aliens in some story, right? The reason he's he does those aliens is because he's explaining, like, okay, it's really weird, isn't it? Weird that we can't communicate with animals. We can't really communicate with animals in the same way we communicate with other humans. So how do we know what communication really is? 
what is communication? What would there be to communicate? What's the difference between communication and language? Right? So that's what he's exploring. And so even though it's not really about us, it's about a subset of us. And that's the point of that story, right? Is that like, it's like language and time are connected. You know, the, like I refer to, uh, when, I, when I point to my mom's dog, I say, get the ball. <laughs> they don't understand pointing. They don't get it, right? Pointing is, that's where that thing is. They don't understand pointing. How is it they don't understand it? I understand it. You understand it. Kids understand it. Now, they do understand eyes. That they don't understand pointing, because if you point at something, a dog will follow the follow the motion of your finger pointing at the thing. Absolutely. You know, but only, only, if it's, only if it's within proximity. So if I point at some piece of food on the ground under my foot and I put, put my hand on it, they'll see it because they're following the movement. But they don't see um, an invisible line going from the tip of my finger to the ball across the field where I can see it from my angle. Yeah. Right? Well, so, Ted Chong's point is like, why are we bothering looking for intelligence in space when there's all sorts of intelligences here that we, 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 we scorn? Indeed. Uh, he, isn't, he, he doesn't even say that in that story, but he, he, he is... Uh, the one I'm thinking of is the one that got turned into a movie. can't remember the name of either is of them. Is it one Arrival? Arrival, yeah, is the movie. Uh, Stories of Your Life. I was thinking of the, the, the Great Silence. Yeah, all of these stories. Yeah, The Great Silence is a good example. Uh, that one is about the parrot, right? Um, yeah. So uh, the thing is, is he is actually, Ted Chang is saying the same thing, but, but he doesn't literally say it to Paul. Right? He doesn't say, I wrote this big book to disabuse you of a false belief that you have about reality. And the thing is, is space opera is bullshit. Now, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. I just watched some Mandalorian. I thought it was fun. But it ain't well, science fiction, bud. All this is science fiction that is unrealistic in terms of, you know, warp drives and everything. I, I think a big part of the point is to explore different ways of living and different ways of thinking about how sure. we can live. It's science fiction, but you can't imagine that it's... So, I don't, I don't think there's... I, I think anyone who says that that does not have value is just wrong. <laughs> but see, I don't think he said... I don't think... I, don't, uh, I, I can't imagine Kim Stanley Robinson saying, you're not allowed to watch Star Trek anymore because it's unrealistic. I think what he's saying is, if you think you understand reality... Uh, well, and you're still thinking that space travel of this kind, the kind he sets you up for in this book, right? Following the rules of physics is possible, then you're wrong. And that is, uh, it's painful, right? That's why people are so upset about the cold equations, is because they don't want math to be true. Now, all the problems that cold equations has, 100%, I I agree with all of them, except for the the main point of the story, which is, you know, F equals MA or whatever it is. The equation is if you have this certain set of circumstances, it's like if you got if you got a certain kind of cancer, you're going to die. And if you don't believe that, then you're just deluding yourself like uh, Steve Jobs, right? He's just wrong. That's why he's he's hoping all these alternative okay, I, medicines. I, I, I want to read I want to read this paragraph to you. Sure. From the book because Two characters are talking near the end of the book about the whole theme about going uh, about space opera. Aaron pauses for a moment to collect himself. Then he waves a hand and says more calmly, that's why you can't 
why aren't hearing from anyone out there? That's why the Great Silent persists. Mm -hmm. There are many other living intelligences out there, no doubt, but they can't leave their home planets any more than we can because life is a planetary expression and can only survive on its home planet. Mm -hmm. It's true. So is he wrong? Um, is this well, obviously, wrong? we can't survive in space because we've built habitats right, to prove because, it. Right, right because, they, because they talk about uh, the physical problems of... The, the bottom line is that biomes you can propel at the speeds needed to cross such great distances are too small to hold viable ecologies. Only a true, true Earth not occupied by life would allow this plan to work, and they may exist somewhere. The galaxies, after all, is big, but they are too far away from us. Viable planets, if they exist, are simply too dash far dash away. That's true. He, put, he, he, ham, yeah. he hammers it over and over. Because and he, he, you he need to hear it. <laughs> it's like it's something you need to hear and it, it's painful i get it I, I absolutely get it but there's a way of of coping and it's, it's like um this is the pain that lovecraft felt and said is true he says like the universe is really big and it doesn't care about you you think you know it's a Love, lovecraft says it in in a way that is hidden but uh douglas adams says it in a way that's funny right Universe is really, really, really big, right? And then the Earth is destroyed, and then the comedy isn't finished, right? But the thing is, is it would be finished because there is no hitchhiking around, right? And if you don't believe that, then you're mistaken. It's just a fact. It, I, I mean, uh, the people getting excited about the, you know, Trump getting some UFO pictures released. Uh, come on, that's bullshit. It, there, there is an explanation, but it ain't aliens. <laughs> I mean, it'd be cool, but it ain't true. It just ain't true, and and that's uh, so you have to think of like, well, can I still enjoy this thing? Absolutely, I love a princess well, well, of Mars. Well, I, 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 I don't think that. I, I mean, by the rules of what Kim Sam Robinson is saying and his characters are saying, no, you can't because that's that's you're at best you're deluding yourself but notice that they're living in a world where they're actually building these spaceships whereas we are not right so w w when you talk right, about right. we so we've proven we can live in space that goes back that goes back to what everyone was saying like science fiction is about the present so if that's true then then what kim Sam robinson is saying to us is that yeah that, that space opera as you said is all bullshit yeah, it is bullshit. So, so I've wasted 49 years of my life. <laughs> no, 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 no. What about, what about fantasy? Magic's bullshit. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Reading fantasy oh, doesn't... Okay, so at best, then, what Kim San Robinson is saying, and, and it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a thin read, maybe a molecule wide, is that <laughs> space opera is basically fantasy and... That's, That's correct. You should treat it as such. That is correct. It is a hard pill to swallow, but you but, need to. But, it's but medicine. You, you, know you, know, you know how much. I, you know what Kim San Robinson's um, opinions of fantasy are. I don't, but. Um, they're, not, they're not very high. Well, yeah, but you can be wrong about stuff too. But, so, you know, I, I'm not saying everybody should read most I, fantasy anyways. So let, let's just let, let's just think about this. We, we really went off a weird, weird topic. No, I, no, I, I, it's very fruitful. You, 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 this, this book pressed my button in a very big way. It's not even the book <laughs> you were talking about on this episode. Well, maybe but, we should do Aurora. I, do, I haven't read it, but it seems like it's, it's, it's too it's, long. It's too long for you, Jesse. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So... Uh, 
so you, it, won't like it you, you can't you can't really like dismiss uh the but the thing is is it is a belief it's almost like a religious belief that you know we're going to get off earth and we're going to go somewhere and that's going to be really cool um people want that but the thing is is you know this those spaceships or space station in orbit right now right they they don't grow their own food they don't create their own oxygen they don't you know it's all supplied so it's not really like if you had a uh i don't know one of those van dyne's what are they called o'neill's spheres it's not sphere tubes uh, no 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 it's like a in orbit space station that has like crops in it and stuff it's an O'Neill cylinder, I think it's called. Anyways, you had one of these space stations with, you know, people up there and growing food and, you know, oxygen provided by uh, plants and water's being recycled from your poo and pee. Um, you could make, like, an argument, right? But we ain't even close to that. It's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, if If we get post-scarcity and a lot more stuff, right talking about the post-scarcity of, of starships laying down the keel <laughs> the keel's not the problem what uh what did um he do elon musk put a, uh, a car in space right what a stupid <laughs> well, it's a stunt right like cars they drive on roads yo <laughs> they drive on roads so it's it's a cool idea like putting a teapot in space it's cool i want to see a teapot in orbit around jupiter but what's the point it's just it's it's like a to fulfill a fantasy checkbox it's not a reality of for anything right so we could build the entire starship enterprise and then we get up inside of it fill it with oxygen and we would all float around because there's no deck plates sucking us down to the with artificial gravity right <laughs> we'd have to put it inside a spinner and like it's just ridiculous it, it it's it if you're reading it like that you're making a mistake and so the way to read it is not as, you know, a fantasy future, but rather as a metaphor or some sort of way of understanding reality. And that's why, you know, a show like The Modern Discovery doesn't make any sense, right? It's like they're doing everything in space except for the science. So what, what, what makes it science fiction? It ain't science fiction, right? There is no, you know, understanding other kinds of people. There's no... Uh, you know, what ifs about, you know, a twin cloning, any, anything like that. It's just, it's just drama, which is why, you know, it's no good. Why you should, why you should quit watching it, Evan? Oh, no, you need to finish your book. <laughs> then you can quit right. watching it. Watch it for me so I don't have to watch it. Just trying to get through it. I appreciate, episodes, I appreciate the coal mine you put yourself in. I... So, I don't know, like, about, I think, I mean, it's prestige TV, it, it actually might be reaching a bit of its limit, I think. I've been, like, oh, we just lost watching it. not oh. a whole lot, not as much as some people, but I've been watching quite a lot. And I'm watching Discovery, and I just noticed, like, they're not interested in anything really except people's feelings mm-hmm. and emotions and drama, right? And I think... <laughs> When I go back and think about some of these shows that I liked, like even like the Sopranos and things, so much of that is just about like the drama of mm. the family. Mm-hmm. Even Breaking Bad, right? It's like 
on some level it's like family drama. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst part of it. I don't know. Like I don't want that in Star Trek. If it works in some other context, maybe I'll be stupid. When I see it in Star Trek, I'm like, wow, that's annoying. <laughs> and, like, but when I go back and watch like some De- old Dexter, it's like that stuff's there too, you know. Oh yeah, it's everywhere. And. It's easy. That's why it's it's I've, really I've easy. I've noticed it everywhere, and I don't like it. No, I understand not liking it. Absolutely. But somehow it's really grating in like Picard and Discovery. <laughs> it's like yeah. Trek. Yeah, because because it it was never we weren't on the starship for Picard and his his uh, T Earl Grey hot. We were there because they were exploring Brave New Worlds, which was a promise of. This week we're going to the, go to the planet where everybody counts coup, and they steal a character. And how do we feel about that? And then they find a way to resolve it peacefully, which is crazy, right? It's awesome. It, it's like, hey, imagine conducting foreign policy where we don't go in and coup the country if if they don't elect the kind of yeah, guy we want. That'd be cool, wouldn't like it? After that episode, you don't get twenty minutes, or you know, the next episode isn't about Tasha Yar's like feelings about being abducted. <laughs> right, that's what no. discovery is. Like, no, something happens to a character in one episode, and then we have to spend like twenty minutes in right. the next episode about how they feel about it. Yeah, Picard got tortured a couple episodes, and then he's fine. The next one, right? He's like, yeah. "Oh yeah, I felt bad. It was bad. Yeah, I didn't like that." Well, uh, uh, counter example: um, Star Trek, um, um, the Star Trek movie with the Borg, um, First Contact. All of those it's don't all exist. It's about Picard working through his feelings about having been abducted by the Yeah, that's war. why it's horrible. That's why it's terrible. This, the I Star Trek well, Next Generation movies are awful. Him actually working through his trauma. It may not be, it may not be done perfectly, but, but at least That's why I tried. watched General Hospital, Paul. That's why I, <laughs> yeah, I watched it's terrible. General Hospital. Okay. <laughs> it's I terrible. I watched Star Trek. What's <laughs> <laughs> wrong on the internet? Episode 3,952. <laughs> Well, life is mostly mistakes. Um, try not to repeat the same ones over and over again. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I had the count wrong. It's actually 15,142. See? I told you. Life is Oh, mistakes. no, I'm wrong. It's, I'm wrong. 143,642. The counter keeps going up. That's what we do. All right. I guess we're done. Yeah, because... Yeah. My, my my gaming people are already messaging me, wondering where I am. They're uh, saying I'm being wrong on the internet. That's my job, yo. Oh yeah, I'm about to tell them. Yeah, I was wrong <laughs> on the internet. And you were saying that this morning on Twitter, and I was like, oh, Paul, he's he's complaining about his shots not being nice, like somebody else's shots. I'm like, which one is he complaining about? These are both nice shots. Ridiculous. You you are you are your worst critic. You punish yourself way more than anybody deserves to be punished. Don't do it. It's a waste of your time. Yeah, yeah. Don't take Kim Stanley Robinson personally. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't. Know, he doesn't. Did he read your review and hate it? No. <laughs> I have no idea if he ever read my review. He probably didn't because it's wise not to read, you know, reviews from strangers. That's a, it. Would probably be better for his mental health for me not. <laughs> yeah, for his mental health not to have read it. But then again, he doesn't care. He's Kim Stanley Robinson. I'm just, I'm just Joe Schmo. Uh, see, you are looking for external affirmation. You shouldn't do that. It's dangerous. 
you, you, you know, you, I, I was reading what you're saying about, you know, you f feel like you, you're not, you don't have to worry about not being a real fan anymore because you got a fan no, award, no, but you well, can't no, say no, that no, about no, being no, a no, photography. No, no, I, not, not not a real fan. It's like saying, I can't say that I'm not a real fan writer because I mean, I have a Hugo nomination to prove that I can, that's, that's, but see, that's ridiculous. That, what? That's ridiculous that you have to have a Hugo nominated nomination to feel feel that you are affirmed i i i i have i have insecurities about how good i do things okay? yeah i know that i and, and, and i'm saying that's illegitimate therefore you are a fan writer but the hugo nomination means that a lot of people value what you do yeah but the, whether you know uh, it, it isn't it's external affirmation is dangerous because then you're chasing the, you know, it's just, it's a mistake. You have to say, like, is, it, is this good? And you compare it to what you did before. And you say, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. I, I'm improving, right? Otherwise, like, you just, you know, I, I'm not the greatest cartoonist, you know. Uh, <laughs> I just know this as a fact. Yes, yes. I look at Sergio Aragones and I think, God damn it, he's so good. And I think, I'll, I'll just do a little drawing here. And I do draw a little Gru with his funny nose. Looks like a, I don't know, bean or whatever. And I think, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> right? I'm not trying to be Sergio Aragones. I am, but I'm also not, you know, saying I'm never going to be as good as Sergio Aragones. I know this, but I don't, like, worry about it because I got, I got other things going on. Right? Uh, your your uh, photographs of whatever valley that was, I was like, I don't know which one is better. I see why this one has that HDR thing and stuff, and it's the golden hour and all that, but your argument that yours is not as good is bullshit, and if you're making that argument, uh, it's such a technical, weird argument that I don't think it's worth, you know, it's worth thinking about. I mean, maybe it is, but I don't... When I look at a picture of a landscape, I don't say, um, this one is better than that one if I, both, I like them both. It's like those star reviews. Don't do it. It's a mistake. I didn't get as high a star review on my last one as I did on this one. That's a mistake. Judge things for themselves, not, not against other things. Well, I mean, the way it came about is, I mean, I, I saw that image and I thought, well, I, I took an image like that and I looked at my image and looked at that image. And, and they're not the same because they're, one is a wide shot and the other one's close in and uh, it seems like higher up and at a different hour. But one well, of them is well, much well, sunnier. Well, well, I mean, the, the whole point of that is the whole point of my long and twisted and convoluted stuff, and I really should go quickly, so I'll, I'll say quickly, is that I I – quote unquote take pictures at the wrong time and that's why my photography isn't good well that's I bullshit not... so stop lying to yourself and others because uh, i mean it, your photography isn't good is a false conclusion from what you just said right uh that you know you take it at the wrong time according to who you took it at the wrong time uh, uh, according to the the general standards of what See? people, what most people find pleasing in landscape photography, so, which is not 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 in the middle of the day and that ridiculous and that harsh light, which I took. I'm going to send this picture to Evan and let him say which one is better. Oh God! I have to find oh, it first. God. 
And when Evan uh, says they're both okay, I... which one is mine? Oh, you should wow. actually tell which one is mine. No, no. Don't, don't, don't tell don't Evan which one is mine. So <laughs> yeah, do this later. Do this on the the Twitter. I'll yeah, I have to find it. I have to dig it up. It's so. Oh, there's one. It's he has so many pictures going out. It's hard to find. When when would this go out? How many hours ago? I can retweet it to Evan. Yeah. There you go. I will retweet. I, I will retweet. I will retweet this issue to Evan. I, um, did you see? Did you see them both? Uh, forward. Trish? Trish. Oh, there it is. I got Sorry, it. Sorry. What? Did you see these pictures? Uh, yesterday or whenever. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. This morning. There it is. I'm like the one on the left. I I like, and the one on the one, right. I like. And the one on the right is dark. <laughs> the well, one on the, the, the one, left that, is that's, that, that's the one that was really con- that really is the fair comparison. Yeah, but the I, one on the I, left. I, I, I mean that the one the the, the is the morning, and that's the thing. I mean, comparing the two ones that were at the same time, at the same place is where. This where is my, the same place. No. No 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 no. What? That's not. No 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 no. I thought no, one no, was no, zoomed no. in. Okay. The, the oh, I, okay. This is not the right one then. Versus a real photographer. They're both the good. One that we want real photographer. To. Hold on. Here's what I don't. Here's what I don't quite understand about this conversation. Like, yeah. I'm teaching art history now, right? Yeah. And so it, like, the students will say like Byzantine or medieval art is kind of worse than classical <laughs> naturalism or Renaissance art. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm, I try to tell them, okay, we got to look at it what was expected at the time and what was considered beautiful in that cultural mm. context. Mm-hmm. And so you got to look at it through those eyes. And at least, like, like I say, in the Byzantine Empire, like what was considered good art, right? Mm. And maybe in some cultural context you can say that. But we're in the 21st century. Art is chaos now. Like if there ever was a time when people could say, that is what art is. That is what a good painting is. Maybe that that probably existed like in the Dutch Republic like in the 18th century, right? Mm-hmm. Like Rembrandt times or whatever. But now, well, look, you, no you could say this is a very no bad impressionism. <laughs> this is very bad impressionism. You could say, right? But the one at the bottom here, it looks much more HDR'd. Um, well, the one at the top looks much more like real. The clouds are in a more stratified layer in the bottom. Maybe that's nice. Um, the shadows are uh, stronger in the bottom in a certain sense. I play with my phone's photography, you know, when I'm taking a picture of a puppy or whatever. Um, and uh, my mom says, no, keep it real. I'm like, there is no real, <laughs> right? There's what your eye sees and what you can put, what you can change. But, like, I can brighten up things and make it... You know, take the shadow so that you can see the other side of the face. It doesn't really matter. What you what you should do is, like, I did a show with Jason Thompson, um, who I encourage Evan to uh, look at his stuff for uh, Strange High House in the Mist. Um, and his art style, I thought I hated it at first, especially the character, the character art. Um, but there was stuff about it I appreciated, and because it was Lovecraft, I persisted with it. Now I think it's really awesome. And the reason is, I <clears throat> I see what he's doing, right? So, hello. Oh, I'm finishing up with the podcast. Anyways, oh, I am. sorry, Paul. I'll let finishing you go. Finishing up with the podcast. I'll be there in a minute. Oh, oh good. 
Well, we'll take another hour then. <laughs> Anyways, I would say that if you're comparing your your bottom shot with your top shot, the one that's from the U.S. Department of Interior, the one at the top, I can see why they want to uh, retweet stuff that's more HDR. I don't care. I like the top shot. Maybe the bottom one's better for a calendar. Top shot gives me a better idea of, like, human beings. Uh, In the shot you had earlier, actually had human beings in it, which is a nice thing for scale and stuff. Like, there's lots of different ways of doing stuff. So if you're, like, if you want to do HDR shots like that, you can. You know how to do it? Yes, I do. So uh, abusing yourself was saying, like, I'm not Sergio Aragones. And I never will be Sergio Aragones. Well, okay. <laughs> so what? <laughs> Get over it. Uh, I don't like the way the, my mustache grows. Grow a beard, bud. <laughs> you don't do well with the beard. Shave your head. <laughs> right? Uh, no, it's, it, it's, it's not only so much HDR. It's, it's, I am, I, real photographers, quote unquote, take take photographs in better lighting conditions than I do. I'm more likely to take a photograph because I am there regardless of the light. And the, the, um, the vast majority of real. So you're saying I'm not rich enough to be an independent photographer who doesn't need to have a job. Wow. Sad story. Stake out a a location. Yeah. Ridiculous. Hours and hours and come back day after day. Ridiculous. One perfect shot. They're hunting. And look, if you want to be that obsessive guy, go for it. I, I see lots of those people on, on like YouTube and see pictures like this where they, Wait patiently for the one perfect shot, and I don't do that. Well, you can do a bunch of per- so, imperfect shots. Well, there's no the- shame in not doing that. Ridiculous. I enjoy your landscape. You're, by, by you insulting uh, you being a bad photographer, um, you're insulting me. Because I'm, Why am I insulting you? Uh, I'm not as good a photographer as you are. No, but you're because I take go- puppy you're pictures. Not, and You're not trying to take these. How dare you, sir? How dare you? I know you take pictures of dogs and other things, but you're, I mean, I mean, I'd like to be good at something. And Okay. Well, you're good at complaining about you not being good at something, but that's not a good thing to be good at. What? You complaining about you is uh, something you're good at, something you should not be good at. (laughs) Let other people do that. That's their job. Anyway, I'm going to go, guys. Yeah, have a good one. It's been a lovely conversation. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. (laughs) Went all sorts of different places. On the other side of the universe. Yeah. (laughs) No, actually, we won't. Because, you know, that's a... a, I'm impressed that we can talk across a continent, yo. Or across continents, plural. That's pretty good. Have a good one, Paul. Later. So, So, trichonomics next? Yeah, I think that's right. Let me check it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Treconomics. Um, I will dig that out. I don't know. Can have we it presume yet. Tim Stanley Robinson says, well, bullshit, and then move on? Oh, I don't know. What time is it for you? Getting sleepy. Well, this might be a better example of, like, where we actually can apply this stuff to our own planet. Hopefully. What's, what's that? Treconomics? Yeah, well, we'll see. I don't know anything about it other than it's the economics of Star Trek. 
Trish, when's the next Jesse, one? You can put me down for Dream Snake. Dream um, Snake, okay. I can't. I looked for my physical copy and can't find it, but I imagine you'll I will me dig some something kind of audio up. version yeah. I can listen to. Yeah. But I've I've read it before, just years and years ago. I have not read it, but I've heard about it for a long time. So you wrote down Dream Snake as one of the uh, yeah. No, it's on the podcast. it's on the chart at twelve nineteen. Yeah. Yeah, you wrote down Dream Snake instead of Trish. Whoa! Wow! How did I do that? <laughs> That's weird, Trish. Yeah, probably you said the word dreamscape. Well, I, it's dreamscape, dream, dreamscape is a different thing. Yeah, it's a good uh, movie have though. Have you done S- Smoke by uh, Donald Westlake? I That's did actually. Yeah, um, it's a fun science fantasy. I it's did like it. An Invisible Man. I did story. do a show with Luke uh, about Invisible Men, um, talking about the Invisible Man and and that and why. It's a really cool science fiction story and completely impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of course. Because first, first thing that would happen is you're blind, right? Because you have no uh, eyeballs. Right. <laughs> One of my my friend Steen, he, sometimes he's mean, and um, he says, "When you die, you won't be a ghost, but if you are a ghost, you'll be blind, and you'll also be deaf." Because you won't have any eyeballs <laughs> and you won't have any ears. You'll just be floating around and you won't have a voice box to complain about your pain. But you won't have any pain because you have no nerves. <laughs> it just goes on and on. <laughs> you'll have psychological torment. But, that's also <laughs> but you have no psyche, so. <laughs> it's so silly. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it, I don't know anything about it other than I heard it. It, it. It's a book. It's not millions of hours long, I think, but it's not short. What smoke? smoke? Or the invisible yeah, man? It's, the it's Invisible Man. Uh, uh, sorry, the Dream Snake is what I was thinking. Smoke. Oh, Dream Snake. Smoke is uh, a novel. It out as a, I think, a novella of mist and sand and grass or oh, something okay. like that, well, and then got expanded into a regular full-length novel. But that was full length of the '90s or whatever, which mm. means like. I don't know, 300 or 300 pages or so, um, as opposed to today's full-length novels, which could be 800 pages. Which are way too long. I mean, why why do people want that long? What are they doing? They They want three books 800 pages long. Yeah. (laughs) Why? uh, I, I really do want to pop you war, but it looks really thick, and there's three of them. Yeah, and you need a Reader's Digest condensed I'll read Poppy War. I'll read Poppy War when I get back to Taiwan. They might have a copy. And the the problem is here, like you go to a bookstore and there's no English books. Oh. Mm-hmm. I got an eighteen hundred word Taiwan story by good English books by Poe. Eighteen hundred word story by Poe. Done. That, Wikipedia says Dream Snake is two hundred and seventy seven pages. Oh, that's not, that's so, not hugely that's not huge. Not bad. All right. The stand's coming out soon. We can do a. Oh, dude, it's too long. <laughs> it's too long. Well, the, the you could do the short version. Even so, it's too long. <laughs> and honestly, I I think I've heard bits of the audiobook. Um, it's just too many characters, and I I get the psychology. I don't I don't understand the appeal. I. I need to finish reading all the Bachman books. But actually, first. I was thinking about this when you were talking about the the sex scenes in this book. Uh-huh. The, they're not cringy. Like, uh huh. No, they're not. I, I mean, mean, other they, than the 
rape especially scene. early on, his sex screens, they're, they're, they are the ones you want to zip past. Right. He doesn't know how to write them very well. No, he didn't. But I think it's because he's, I think the problem is he's like a committed monogamist. And that's clear in his books. <laughs> he really is moralistic about monogamy. And I don't get that sense from Lawrence Block. No, no. Um, I, I mean, I think his wife might have been a former hooker, uh, given his uh, proclivities. Um, and then uh, the Jewish woman, he's the Jew, right? Locke is the Jew, yeah. not, not his wife. I don't, think, I don't think his wife is Jewish. But if she is, that's incidental to his sexual adventures. Such a great writer, though. I mean, he's wrong about uh, politics, <laughs> but uh, you know, he's a, as you say, he's a boomer or whatever. You can you can like somebody who's got bad opinions about stuff. Yeah. Spe- speaking of which, there was a, a funny thread, uh, well, not a thread, an article, SF Signal put out uh, about. All right, I gotta go. Okay, good night. You tweet it to me or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, it wasn't SF Signal. A quest for Discover First Science Fiction Writer. Some New Yorker article. I'll send it to the chat here, Trish. All right. Bye bye. Talk to you later, Evan. Bye bye. Uh, and I started reading it like, I never heard of this person, so maybe it's amazing, but it's a novel. And SF, to me, is not novels, it is short stories and occasionally a novel. Or novellas, even better, novelettes. So I'm reading about this, and I'm like, yeah, well, that, okay. But even so, this doesn't sound like SF. It sounds like, you know, fantastic fiction. You know, it's not about the science. So I just tweeted, uh, I'm going to let you finish. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to let you finish. But, uh, But Edward Page Mitchell has one of the best cases for this title. I was trying to match it to what uh, Kanye apparently said, which is uh, what some other person had, the best video, video, one of the best music videos. Um, And then I tweeted a picture of Edward Page Mitchell pulling a computer out of some dude's head. And then uh, this story, have you read this one? Uh, It's called The Man Without a Body. So I went to the original newspaper. It was really hard to read. Um, I found it in a book, and the book was had like like weird typos, like not just typos, like, like characters that are not you know human readable or whatever. They're not letters in the English alphabet. And uh, I'm like, well, this is bad. So what other things are bad? So we went to the original newspaper, and. I con- pumped up the contrast and removed, I just like tried to work it really well. And it turns out like you still can't really read it very well. So we're agonizing over each word, looking them up because some of the spellings are weird, right? And uh, we produced this PDF transcribing, and I think it's perfect now. But uh, this story has a Star Trek transporter, style transporter. And it's from 1877. And in this story, it's mentioned um, the invention of the telephone, which is the year before. Isn't that crazy? Hmm. 1877. Here's the original. And it's funny. It's a comedy. But it's also hard SF, which is hilarious. Hmm. 
It, it's like it's it's got a talking head, <laughs> literally a talking head, which is ridiculous. Um, but also, it's it's a hard SF story, which is crazy. All right, here's what I really want to know about: How's Birch doing? <laughs> oh, uh, he got a little limp uh, the other day. Um, apparently, he went out to pee early in the morning in the dark and did a little yelp, and then ran back inside, and he's been limping since then. But other than that, uh-huh. he's good. Yeah. So something bit him or something? Mm, probably not. I mean, there's not a lot of things to bite. Mm. Uh, here's... I'll send you a direct message video of him playing with his squeaky toy. <laughs> he is, um, he's got a really good personality. He's starting to teeth with his second set of teeth coming in I think so uh, he's he's really bitey at the moment mm-hmm. wants to bite everything um, but he's getting along with the other dogs his dad and the uh, other dog that's there and uh, I'll be going to see them again later later today saw him yesterday I'm pretty much up there every day and so I've st- when, I, when I go away for a couple of days I notice that he's grown but if I go Every day, I just notice he's big. I don't notice he's uh-huh. grown, but he's he's uh you know you he goes a couple of days without peeing in the house, and <laughs> he asks to go out. You know he goes to the door. He's also getting very vocal, like starting to make noises, um, saying <laughs> like that, which is cute. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's surprising because uh, all his brothers and sisters are dead and he's alive all right well i need to get some lunch before i do my next thing so what's your next thing <laughs> no my phones are going off <laughs> okay so i'll I'm let you go oh. call it a day okay but, uh, have a good one it was an interesting conversation jesse i'm yep. not really mad at you for making no no <laughs> i look i hadn't read i hadn't read it before so um i did enjoy the discussion (laughs) yeah we got a good discussion out of it and uh good news is no humans were injured in the making of this book that's right right. (laughs) okay thanks jesse have a great one bye trish okay this has been the sff audio podcast Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. Some people like the stand. I don't mind it. I I think I I like aspects of it. I, I think the imagination of the world, like, you know, trying to do Lord of the Rings in America. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So it's kind of a mix of Lord of the Rings, but also... It's what, ambitious. Like, That's nice. Kind of American... It's very like, American. 60s, 60s style, criti- like, paranoia about the government. That's 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 wild. I like it. I don't think uh, Will's on here either, but no one else is... I uh, feel like I'm on the wrong day here. But no, it's, it's a shame. Well, we'll see. I mean, 
there's got to be someone else who wants to do this book. <laughs> um, let me let me uh, put some direct messages out into the universe. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I am I am wondering what what brought you to do this because this is not I don't see it as sci-fi adjacent. Save it. Fantasy adjacent. Save it for the podcast. You have you have an answer to that question? Save it. <laughs> I, just want, I just want to come in feeling with some confidence. Then. You will have plenty of confidence. Okay, I do my homework. Jesse yeah, does his even, homework. You even DM or or, or tweet. Hmm? You tweet block. You you tweet Lawrence Block. You're like in his. You're you're in his. Uh we're not politically associated, but um, I've I've communicated <laughs> him with for uh, a few many years ago. So I'll save save it. <laughs> uh okay so i dm'd uh, uh patricia pat why why am i having trouble call, uh, naming her um and uh i need to dm paul because he's he's busy in a in some sort of a gloomy gus phase with his photos mm. are you online for a podcast question mark there we go. I'm gonna turn my phone to the sleep, sleepy mode. There we go. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, next week is uh, Treconomics. I'll organize that. Yeah, next week I'm definitely on. Good, good. And then um, after that, maybe a couple. I think definitely James P. Crow. Good. What about in the clutch of the oh, war? The Milo Hastings. Yeah, it's short. That, I may not be around, but it's short. Those th- those three. Trekonomics is short. No, Milo. the uh, uh, in the clutch of the war god is short. Um, yeah, I don't think Will is on today. Uh, I just assumed he was, but he's not showing on the schedule. I don't remember who I sent this thing to. I sent it to a lot of people. There was like five or six people on the schedule. Well, no. Um, uh, there's Jesse, Paul, Trish, Evan, Misa. Mice is out because uh, for reasons. Um, but I also sent uh, somebody. Cat. She requested uh, to be come on, and I gave her the list, and I sent her this file. Um, but she uh, bowed out. So theoretically, we should have one female. I think that might be. I, uh, it's essential we have one female on this. <laughs> I um, I think There's so. There's a call. Oh, Finally. Wait, you, made you didn't it. call me. By I did call you, call. but you were not online. I was online. Okay, well, Paul, try adding, uh, uh, why am I having trouble? Try adding who? P.E. Math- Matson. Why, why am I having trouble? Oh, Trish. Trish, that's why. It's because it's Patricia on her account. I'm like, what? That doesn't sound right. Where's Trish? I will try to add her. Yeah, she's still yellow on mine. I'll try to add her as well. Got to be yellow. Don't try to fool me. I don't know that song. Are you making it up? No, it's from the Traveling Wilburys. Oh, that's that's why. It's from a music band. It's from a music band, and I may not know much about music, but Jesse knows even less about music than I do, which is an impressive beat, Jesse. 
Yeah, I was busy oh, 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 reading oh, oh, books oh, oh, or something, funny. playing Scott Dungeons and Dragons. About Bach on Friday. Bach the Bach. the Bach composer. Yes, because we were talking about Godelusker Bach and Eternal Golden Braid. I'm telling. I'm t- sad to tell you, he's now decomposer. <laughs> Ow, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse, that one. Hurt. <laughs> That was a deep cut. <laughs> um, let me. Oh, I, uh, I've been watching The Boys. Um, oh, do you and, like it? Uh, well, it's funny. I got a new TV because my old TV died, and uh, this time I, 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 I uh, decided to go out for a Sony because I have another Sony, and it, la- it seems to last forever. Although I've had Sony's die in the past as well. But the main thing is it had an Android operating system, which means I could uh, hack it a bit. And I did. It took a while to do. Um, which means I have the Google um, ads off of YouTube, which is nice. So you can watch YouTube with, without ads. Um, and then I w- went to install the Netflix, which I did. You know, my mom pays for that so I get a free Netflix or whatever and then allows me to watch lots of Deep Space Nine <laughs> and then I went to install uh, Prime oh I see uh, Trish is Trish? yes I'm here oh You're finally right. okay good Sorry, You're getting I was worried. A little late okay I was getting worried um, so I went to install the uh... no I would not just bail on you without okay, saying anything no matter oh. how bad the book is get... Jesse no 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 save it Trish Save yeah. it for the podcast. <laughs> so I'm telling a story my about my TV. <laughs> save it, Evan. Save it. <laughs> um, so I I went to install uh, Netflix. That worked fine. Got the YouTube ad free. Fine. And then I went to put Prime on. My mom also pays for Prime, as she barely watches TV. Right. So uh, it wouldn't let me put it on. And uh, so I did a rigmarole getting her to. You know, try and figure out how to do it because, you know, it wasn't doing it the normal way. You just enter the password or whatever. Turns out they're, um, they're like rolling out a uh, new program where you, you have to pay more to get the Prime TV in the what? middle of the pandemic. <laughs> that was hilarious. Amazon needs to, even though there's a record profits, the richest man in the universe is now getting richer. <laughs> he still has to crank out more money. So, um, so apparently the end of the month the old free when she's on will you know when you get prime basic or whatever you lose your prime um and i'm like eh. so i go and download uh the boys and i've been watching it off of a usb stick um but uh yeah it's good i i it's been so long since i read the comics i have them on the shelf i just don't think about them at all because they're soups. The first read the yeah i saw the first season before but uh the second season this character Stormfront is in and she's a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. And uh superheroes are so tied up with the with the early twentieth century. It's it's that's what I like about it. And it also has like it's it has Garth Ennis Garth Ennis's sense of humor, which is very juvenile, which I quite enjoy. He, he goes he goes places um that all, most yeah, writers are very timid. Those wonderful places. Oh yeah. And this um this other character, uh, Stormfront, is it, it, she's not just a uh, white nationalist. She's a Nazi, <laughs> like yeah. a literal Nazi. 
And it's like, oh yeah, she's horrible, horrible. You want to, you want her to die, and they're setting it up so that you're going to be very pleased by her being <laughs> dead. Uh, although right now she's busy killing people. I haven't seen the second season. Uh, just haven't gotten around to it. But I did enjoy the first season. I've never read mm-hmm. the comics. The comics are. Uh, they're like my least favorite Garth Ennis, basically. Uh, not really, because there's some other stuff, but I, I buy everything he he puts out, and I love his writing, because even, even though he hates superheroes as much as I do, there's so much superhero work, you know, in the, in the industry, um, that he, when he does it, you know, he can write it forever and people will buy it. It's kind of a crazy industry. But he's, he says, no, oh, if they want to pay me for this shit, fine, I'll. So he, like, he wrote a comic called Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. <laughs> and that's all it is, is Punisher going around assassinating all the soups. <laughs> so, you know, you know, you'll see uh, Captain America doing something heroic. And Punisher says, <laughs> Punisher says, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> he kills him. <laughs> and then uh, Spider-Man. Prime, Jesse, I highly recommend, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it, watching the Amazon version of The Tick. I have seen it. And, you know, it's funny because I watched the original Tick uh, TV show. Oh, the cartoon. I loved that. Right, Saturday morning. No, I mean. That was great. That, that show actually is, the cartoon was pretty good. But, no, I meant the live action one, which was terrible. There was an yeah. original live action one. And then there's this one. And they're both not right exactly, but uh, the tick's actually pretty good because it is ridiculous. And, and what I like about it is ha- it has, Evan would call it fan service, but it's not fan service. It's uh, in-universe building, like Deflator Mouse's, you know, patrol route and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's everybody's an analog- analogous for some DC. Or the other thing I really like about it is... I think in the first first episode of the cartoon, right, they would some guy lasers the moon, and every time you see the moon in subsequent episodes, it's still lasered. Right. <laughs> like he's lasering the word chaos or something onto it, and you, it only the first three letters, so it says cha. Cha. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. Um, yeah, I, I I watched a bit of it, but I don't have Prime now. Well, a bit. Maybe I don't quite know what fan service is. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you did have it because you were watching The Boys. Oh, but well, I downloaded it. You've been watching The Boys um, by other methods. Ah. <laughs> by pirating, Paul. It's, it's called pirating. It's a legitimate... <laughs> That's how I watch The Boys. I, I tried to, to log into my sister's Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. It didn't work over here in China. Yeah. Well, yeah. You are in China. That does kind of change the calculus somewhat. Well, I, I, I logged onto my sister's account, and they're like, you got to, like, they send an email, like, with the code, and I don't want to wake up my sister. <laughs> so I'm just like, fine, I'll just pirate it. Easier. Which is about the same. I mean, using someone else's account, I guess, is also. So what is fan service, Paul? What is fan what is fan See, I don't think it's necessarily bad. That's that's my position. It's like I think Enterprise season four is fan service. I, I didn't get that far. Ninety percent good. Um, I mean the the Wikipedia entry says it's material in a work of fiction or a fictional series which is intentionally added to 
please the audience. Yeah. So have you all seen Skyfall? Yeah. Yes. That yeah. that movie is a piece of shit. It's a piece of shit for a couple of reasons. Number one reason is it makes Julian Assange the bad guy, which is evil propaganda. Number two, well, it's all fucking kind of is right. Uh, what's interesting is that it, it, it is is if you think about how James Bond works, it it actually is, but it's also a satire, right? Like, notice that all the bad guys have funny names and the, all the girls have funny names, like Doctor No, and uh, you know Goldfinger, and I mean the end, the, the Jaws. The names are endlessly uh, satirical, right? Somebody's eating chocolates or something. That's not me. It's Oof. me. I won't do it during the action. <laughs> Good. Just, just during Sa- the Save the no- noiselessness for the podcast. Um, yeah, Dr. No, or, you know, if you've, if you've seen a bunch of James Bond movies from the early days, um, they're comedies, right? They're satires. But Skyfall's serious, which is stupid. Well, all, 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 all the all the Daniel Craig James Bonds are yeah, but they're theories. pretty bad. But that one was a particularly it, egregious. It's fan service in a way, right? Well, right. but that's so my point. Is like reboot it, right? This it's, guy it's, comes it's, out. He 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 goes. He you know he's off the grid or whatever, and he he goes to some garage, and in it he finds a Austin Martin DV five. It's not Austin Martin. Austin Healy. No, it's I don't know. It's Aston Martin. Austin, Austin Martin DB5, a car from the 1960s that he instantly recognizes, even though he was not born in the 1960s, and which the audience is supposed to go, oh, it's the car from Goldfinger. Yes, that's fan service. That's fan service. Fan service. But so I guess you didn't watch Enterprise season four. I didn't get yeah. that far. So they do things like like play with the the... The ridges on the Klingons, and they play with the 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 Vulcan mind meld. Why they didn't have that in early episodes? Oh no, that's that's trying to that's filling in like it's it's, I guess it's world building and (laughs) trying to reconcile that's pleasing to fans in a way season one and two in Enterprise were not pleasing to fans. Yeah, so you know that trouble with Tribbles episode so, of uh, of Deep Space Nine. That's uh, fan service. That's fan service. Yeah, yeah, that that was definitely fan service. But that was a good episode, right? Yeah, it was also it was a good fan episode, service and it worked. Yeah. So, I I guess I don't know the distinction between like member of, berries consciously world building something based member on berries is is the difference that are pleasing to fans and just. Pleasing fans. I, I think Tolkien did no fan service. Bad. Tolkien did no fan service, and yet it's full of world building and things that are pleasing to fans, right? I think. Yeah, so I, I, I think, think I've read the uh, original fan service was used um, describing anime, or where you would get you know a, a, a shot of TNA uh, <laughs> to yeah, yeah, yeah. readers that you know didn't have anything to do with the plot. that's a, that's definitely fan service as well but it's um that's a different kind of <laughs> service, a different kind of service. <laughs> <laughs> i'm typing it into google and yes the first things that come up are girl bums and uh anime well they're anime girl bums and boobs and and those are the youtubes and stuff so uh, it, there's probably a Japanese word that sa- immediately means fan service, 
but TV Tropes has thought about this way. Oh, look, there we go. If you go to TV Tropes and type in fan service one word, it has the sensational She-Hulk on the cover. It says, Marvel gives us something everyone's been waiting to see. That's, uh, and then it's the She-Hulk naked on the cover, trying to cover up her nudity. Oh, so it says cheesecake. And then, okay, so there's so obviously... Where does that come from fans wondering where, like, why when the Hulk changes, his top's always gone. But when the She-Hulk changes, her, her top's still intact. <laughs> so the fan service is to answer that question? No, no, it's not about answering questions. It's about member berries. <laughs> it's about it? pleasing the audience and giving the... Yeah. yeah that, that answers a question and pleases the audience simultaneously. All right, well, maybe yeah, I'm well, confusing it does, the it two. It world built. It world built, actually. <laughs> 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 oh my god well but in the way the, the early ep- Enterprise episode with the Ferengi is, was fan service because it's like oh here's the Ferengi and what? yes oh Enterprise, Enterprise. yeah no, no that yeah. was like yeah, they, they didn't like those writers didn't know what the hell they were doing that's true the well there's that too with... <laughs> but there are a few good episodes there's a few solid episodes in the first I'm, I'm not totally down on like, the first and second no, season. No, no, I'm not totally down either. Like, like the Enterprise episode where we find out the Vulcans actually have a hidden listening base where they're listening on the Andorians. It's yeah, like, that's... Wow! What like, they did with the Andorians is good. But I think season four of Enterprise is almost all, like, fan service. I can't But it all that. is pretty good. Like, there are... It's, it's pretty solid stuff. It, it actually adds... It, it fills in holes in it. It actually builds towards something. Like, had they had a fifth and sixth season of Enterprise, I think it would have been pretty solid. Sadly, we did not get that one. Better than this crap with Discovery. Okay, so here's uh, somebody's... uh, What's this? uh, Reddit says, uh, So I recently rewatched Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The opening scene is a fantastic setup for the movie. After watching it again, I realized the incredible amount of fan service present. Indy's hatred of snakes, his use of the whip, and of course, the hat. What are some movies you guys can think of that do fan service right? And then the first answer is Skyfall. They play the trope of Bond having wacky gizmos. They bring back the classic Aston Martin. All that good stuff. And then somebody else says, the thing about Skyfall... Oh no, it's the same person. The thing about Skyfall and fan service was they integrated it seamlessly into the themes of the story. It was very clever, and one of my favorite films. That person should be dead. <laughs> That's horrible. It is not a good movie. It's well, a very bad movie. Have you this movie called Empire a- Strikes Back, where they, 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 they have this character that showed up in the first movie ha! and shows up again in the second ha, ha, movie? Ha, ha. And, and he's still in debt to Jabba the Hutt? Uh... Yeah. Well, the Ewoks were sort of fan service uh, with Lucas writing it basically the, for his children. Well, but that's not no, fan that service. That's kid toys. service. That was exclusively to sell toys. <laughs> Furry was- little toys. Oh, you just you just faded away, Evan. Yeah, you faded into nothingness. How did I just get a Discord notice when I turned off Discord? I don't know. <laughs> The mysteries of Discord. I gotta turn off the good old games <laughs> thing because I only used it that one time. Now it's in my life. I'll need it. 
Oh, you, you see, you, you were there, and then you faded away, Evan. You said you'd take back what you said about the silver key, and then... Oh, you're still gone. Unplug and replug. All right. How much time you guys got today? How much time does this deserve? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Trish, save it. Save it for the podcast. <laughs> I, I have a couple hours. Jesse. Good, good. Okay. I have, I have a couple of hours. Yes. Good. The book needs a couple hours. Hey, hey now. No, Save you're still very quiet. Uh, yeah, but you're very quiet, which is a problem. Who, me? No, Evan. You can't oh, even hear him. Can. No, I can't hear him at all. I don't know what... He, he's got a crappy mic. He needs to replace it. It's lucky. His, his regular podcast doesn't have this problem. I don't know. I mean, it is a little <laughs> quiet, but it's not like this. Uh, you can hear me fine, right? Yeah, you're fine. Well, what, what kind of mic have you got? Me? A uh, Blue Yeti. Yeah, there you go. And Paul? You, you're a uh, Blue Yeti? Okay. Well, Evan's the one that doesn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> if it does not fit, you must have quit? Mm, yes, Paul. Please quote that lawyer more. <laughs> <laughs> But see that the fact that that is his argument and that it worked. Um, well, that's exactly if it rhymes, it must be true. That's what I learned from Atticus Finch. <laughs> wow, this is where we live now. Sad story. Sad, sad story. No chicken dinners. No, no. Wow. That what's funny is I actually enjoy sad stories because uh, I get to say sad story, which makes me laugh, which is good. Well, yeah. laughing, laughing, laughing makes us all happy. Not not if somebody's laughing at you. No, well, no, laughing together in harmony and goodness. <laughs> I'm looking through the giant list of. Uh, TV tropes, tropes under uh, super tropes. <laughs> They're just There's funny. A super tropes list. TV tropes. A I super trope too. Yeah. So the first one is absolute cleavage. A woman wears an outfit that allows her breasts to show a lot of cleavage. Amazon beauty. They're in alphabetical order. Bastard boyfriend. Bath kick. <laughs> a female character extends her leg to its full length while bathing beach episode an episode taking place at the beach which will often have the cast wearing swimwear <laughs> oh, what best or, or, or shopping or shopping episode i mean i mean i mean that's a common enough trope that yeah we even had that in a role-playing session where we wound up in marseille and yeah we we had basically had a shopping beach episode which seemed nice and fluffy until we found out there were cultists of dagon running around ah. and then it became less nice and fluffy and more oh god we're in trouble. Briefs boasting. A man likes to brag about his small underwear. Uh, I don't know that episode of anything. Chippendale's dancers. Crashing through the harem. A chase scene where a character crashes through a private room. Uh, I've seen that in uh, movies. Well, like John Carter has that happen. John Carter? He, John, John Carter, the movie, because he, he swings 
because I rewatched it recently, so I remember. So he, he jumps across the the way with um with one of the guys from Healing was come to rescue him, and they crash into basically into a harem, and then they run into Dacius Thoris there. I don't remember. Uh, erotic eating. A fan, a fan disservice. It would be conventional mm-hmm. fan service, except the situation is too unpleasant, or the person in the question is too ugly for the scene to be considered sexy. So yeah, it does seem to associate fan service. Yeah, so... Evan's wrong, and Jesse's also wrong. I was saying Lovecraft would never do fan service, which I'm correct, but I was saying it for the wrong reason. I was saying, like, member berries <laughs> is what fan service was, and he was saying that uh, it was fan service when he meant uh, member berries. <laughs> so we were both wrong, but he was more wrong. And also, he's still not with us. He's still not with us. He got he got so offended by my accusation of him doing member berries. Fully clothed nudity. A character reacts as if they're naked when only their when only in their underwear or swimwear. Okay. I'll send this list to you. Why are you trying to go as the TV tropes? TV tropes is a time suck. It is. Uh, I wonder if there's any Lawrence Block uh, stuff on TV Chops. You want to say no, but you never know. Uh, you're there. Let's hear some more words. Yep. Okay. Bernie Rodenbar's there. Oh, yeah. Whole bunch. I moved my USB to another port. Better. It's a, I think it's yeah, a USB I can hear you pretty well. Not just, uh, yeah, your power supplies are not sufficient, I think, is the issue. Uh, you're on a laptop? Yeah. That's uh, often the issue is there's not enough power. Um, yeah. yeah. Isn't that hilarious? There's uh, Lawrence Block is listed on TV Tropes not once but many times. But I have a question back to what you are talking about before about uh-huh. super tropes. Shouldn't okay. a super trope be a trope of a trope? Uh, yeah. That would uh, be a meta trope. Uh, yeah, there's some... There's some... Like a, no, like we... Like in philosophy, we have commentaries. We have super commentaries. So, like commentaries on the commentaries. Averroes wrote commentaries on Aristotle. Yeah. And people wrote commentaries on Averroes, so that'd be a super commentary. Yeah. Uh, all, all I know is there. Whoever's spending all their time in the time like suck that is this. They know. The they, they they know what they're doing. These are very like deeply. Uh, like this TV tropes is very well edited. Which is surprising. But yeah, like I don't know that much about She-Hulk. But somebody on here does. And they know, like, all the issues. I didn't read She-Hulk at all. (laughs) I didn't either. I mean, it it sounds like it might have been okay. Because it was was more comedic than um, regular Hulk. But whatever. I guess there's going to be a She-Hulk show on that channel that... You don't have any more, Evan. Whatever it's called. Disney Plus? I paid for it for like a month, and they never showed up at the Marvel shows. Yeah, like no, that, no. Uh, they, they, they're the, like the years Walker away. The looks pretty solid. No. I'm, I'm years kind away. of curious what they do with Captain America. Nothing is my guess. But they, they don't release the shows. Yeah. Or, no, there's nothing coming out it, until but, next year. 
Are they waiting for Black Widow to come out? Is like Black Widow essential to these other stories? No, no, they're just not done. Maybe. Yeah, no. So that... I, I moved my money to CBS so I could watch Star Trek a little bit easier than on Netflix. Very poor choice. But it's your money. Probably <laughs> like going to be. Well, they are doing the stand, and well, we'll see. Should, I'll give some money, give them the benefit of the doubt, because they're doing Stephen King stuff. Oh, good money Hulu after that. Castle Rock, which is kind of a tragedy, because that was actually a good show. All right, who wants to do a book? Let's do it. Uh, let me get my my recorder. Yeah. Yes, go. please. Started and let's do this. Yeah. All right, here we go. Uh, oh yeah, I had a. There we go. Um, I funny. I tweeted. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll save it for the podcast. It's not that interesting, but I'll tweet. I'll I'll tell it later. Maybe here we go.